Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. Here we go then, the big one is finally here. The Premier League is in the bag, the FA Cup was brought home with relatively little fuss and now Manchester City have the chance to complete a treble. We're going to be starting this week though with a look back over last weekend's win in the first ever Manchester Derby Cup final at Wembley. Also on today's Blue Moon podcast, we'll be taking an in-depth look at the coming game with Inter Milan. We'll hear from Manchester football historian Dr Gary James about City's previous European finals and Inter fan Francesco Pozio from CBS Sports and the Here We Go podcast to get insights into Saturday's opposition. On top of that, the two Kierans return with their alternative moments of the season, celebrating the weird and wonderful things that don't make it into most lists of highlights. I'm David Mooney, and with such a special week coming up, we'll be rotating the guests throughout today's show. So to review the FA Cup final win, I'm joined by Sam Roscoe. Hello, mate. And from statcity.co.uk, Adam Carter. Hello. So then, uh, Sam, um, FA Cup first final. of all, just just quickly front loading the, with the best guests first. I like it. Yeah, I like yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, hey, you volunteered for this bit, not me. So, uh, so you know, don't, don't don't pin this on me. Um, the game then uh, for you as a City fan, what does it mean to watch City beat United in the FA Cup final, the first time that those two teams have met? Yeah, it's pretty mega, isn't it? To be honest with you, I mean, you, there's always that sort of fantasy of derby matches and how how big they are anyway you know the derby for bragging rights etc and and in the past the games between manchester city and, and manchester united in you know 10 years ago there were titles on the line etc and then manchester united have dropped off significantly and now it's, it means something again for the fact that it's, it was the first ever fa cup final between the two to to get in there and be the the sort of one that's that's won it is is great um i think um Going back to that point, I was going on about I was trying to make um, about like it being a fantasy of like oh you know it's one of them things that fans would absolutely love to be on the winning end, but absolutely dread to be on the other end. But thankfully, yeah. we don't have to talk about that today. Um, <laughs> but of course, um, yeah, you know, you, um, oh, imagine the amount of times I oh, imagine if we played United in the final, like it'd be horrible, and it was. It it's, was it's playground horrible. stuff, though, isn't it? Yeah, you, it you, is playground yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah, you think about it, and uh, I mean, Adam, the other side of this as well is like, you think about playing your bitterest rivals in the biggest <laughs> kind of game of the season, and then you think, what's the perfect way to do that? Well, it's, it's obviously to score within the first kind of minute or so. And I mean, yeah. like, you couldn't have, had you taken your seat properly? Had you, were you ready for that? So there's a few things. So I, I literally, I, I was in on time, obviously, I'd, I, I, and kick off, I was just settling in, and then I looked up as the ball dropped to Gundogan. So luckily, I did see the goal, but I was just thinking how many people didn't see that goal because it was so quick. And the noise, it just kept it, the buzz. My ears were ringing. I've never experienced a City goal generate that much noise at a game that I've been at in my City watching career. And I've been to hundreds of games, and it was literally 
the euphoria because the way it was almost like three different stories in one uh, yeah. and that release because the first story one it's just a manchester derby you you don't even need to discuss what that means you then elevate it and say it's a manchester derby in the fa cup final you don't even need to explain what that means then the third prong is it's a manchester derby in the fa cup final on the way to what potentially could be a treble and they're the ones who are trying to stop us winning their protect their precious treble so it was all that it was like a concoction a cacophony of all those things that was just exploded within 13 seconds and that's it i can't describe that well i'm trying my best out but that euphoria that was just it was all just you know bundled up into this outpouring of absolute hysteria the i hate the word but the limbs oh it was just fantastic <laughs> yeah i mean sam did it as a as a cup success i mean taking in all of that that adam's just said into account did it feel different at full time i think given everything that Adam said there, the overwhelming sense of emotion that I had was relief. Yeah. So in that sense, it, it was different to other, you know, other times we've won trophies, but it was just, I felt mentally and physically drained and it was just a massive, massive relief. It felt a bit weird, actually. I felt a bit of like a kill joy, but I was, you know, I was trying, I was finding it hard to like really enjoy it. I was just like, oh my God, like, yeah. Thank God, you know it's such a relief. So I know, I know what you mean. You enjoy the having done it, but you don't yes. enjoy the doing of it, do you? Exactly, yeah. And it was a obviously scoring thirteen seconds in. I don't think I've celebrated a city goal as hard as I did that one for a very, very long time. Um, but then the way the game panned out, the chances that United had towards the end of the game as well, there was there was. I had a feeling that. Oh, there were, a, there were a number of City chances that we didn't quite put into the back of the net. The final third, they were, I don't want to say lacking, but they, were, they just didn't have that final little spark. And there was a number of chances that they couldn't quite get. And I was worried in the game. I remember thinking, oh, no, like please don't be one of them games where yeah, we've got to take say, one of these. Yeah, yeah, how many chances have City missed, this, that and the other. And United have wormed their way back into it. They wormed their way back into it with the penalty. Like, it's a ball into the box, completely out of nowhere. Grealish has missed it, etc. And what happens, happens. I'm sure we'll come on to talk about the decision in a moment. But that was that kind of felt like out of, out of nothing. And then from that, they got the impetus, they got confidence back, and they grew in the game. And then towards the end, obviously, um, they had to go for it. And, yeah, we, we managed to, to see it out, which was, again, I think, added to that sense of relief. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, Sam, Adam talked a minute ago there about seeing the ball drop to Gundogan. How were you feeling when that ball was dropping to him? Were you thinking, like, there's there's almost that, that sort of split second of, oh, he's, he's going to hit this. Well, I was kind of, like, in line with it and, like, obviously the other side of the stadium and I could see it dropping to him and it's one of them where you think, go on, hit it. Yeah. Hit it first. <laughs> go on, then, why not hit it? And, and he does, and I thought at first he'd scuffed it. But it seemed to like dip into slow motion yeah. and go into the net. And De Gea was like rooted. And I just went, just went wild. I, I couldn't believe it. It was so surreal. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously watching the replay back, he's absolutely hit that wonderfully, hasn't he? And it's a really good strike. And you can sort of see why it's, it's planted De Gea, to be honest with you. I know he's got a lot of criticism um, following it, but... He's hit it with so much venom, that volley, 
and it, it's one, it, ha, it is one of them. It's just sat up so nicely for him, and he's just gone, yeah, I'm having this. Yeah, uh, and it's come through the defenders, etc. So, um, yeah, nice one, Ilkay. It's it's not just that opening goal though, Adam. I mean, how important has Gundogan been himself in the? I mean, not even in the final, but in the last kind of six, eight, ten, twelve weeks. I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's been ridiculous. I was looking at his numbers this morning, and um, he scored six goals in the months of May and June this season. That's the same amount as our top three scorers this season have scored in the same time. Obviously, Erling, uh, Foden, and Alvarez. So that kind of shows that he's come up clutch in the. The big moments, and I think 13% of all his goals for City have come in the months of May. So it's not just this season either. He's really staking a claim for that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. he's really staking a claim for that statue outside, isn't he? Um, (laughs) You you know, you can rely on him. And if I know we don't know what's coming up, but if he could even, he he wouldn't need to score in that. But if he did score in the Champions League final, he would literally, you know, blaze his name into the uh, history books there. But he's just the man for, the, for for that occasion, isn't he? He's calm. He keeps us ticking over. He'll put his foot on the ball. He'll slow us down. He'll break the lines if we need to. He'll arrive in the box. He's got a sense of goal in him. He's, he's the complete package. And obviously his future's up in the air, but he's so important for us. Um, and you can rely on him in, in May. So his numbers back that up as well. So that's how important he's been. Adam, you said uh, putting the claim in for that statue. How how much of that statue has been built already? Like, has he got the plinth yet? Is the plinth ready and in, in, in yeah, waiting? Yeah. Maybe maybe the legs up to the knees are there. Yeah, exactly. The foundations and plinths are there. Uh, we'll get his upper body there uh, following Sunday, hopefully Saturday. Even <laughs> I have to admit, I I nearly when when you're asking for bad take amnesties, David, the other week, I did nearly. Reply, but I was a bit too. Uh, See, you've teased us now. You've got to tell us. You've got <laughs> I am going to tell you. I am, I am going to tell you. My bad take. It wasn't for this season, but it was. It's from like quite a while. It's been going on for a bit this now, and it's it's just making me look like I've even got more egg on my face. But I think it must have been around 2018, 2017, 2018. I, I wasn't convinced of Gundogan, and I think I'd, I told some friends that I would drive him to whichever wow. club they want him to go to. And um, since then, he's you know been the top goal scorer in um, <laughs> in a season. season he's yeah. had an incredible uh, impact on the the formidables team. He scored the winners uh, against scored the goals to get City back in the game and the winner against uh, Aston Villa. That's won the league title on the last day. Um, he's pretty much sealed sealed City's title with the goal at Everton to get us off and running. And then obviously these incredible. Uh, goals that he scored, obviously in the FA Cup final as well. So, I, in terms of impact, he's up there now. I think he surpasses the likes of Yaya Toure for impact he's had in a city city side. When you when it's you actually shout. look at when shout. you look wow. at trophies per goals ratio, um, he is up there because he's he's become City's match winner in May. Yeah. Yeah. He's he's so re- like you said, Adam earlier. You know, you look at his stats and May, he just comes alive. Um, and he's, I don't want to say pick City up by the scruff of the neck so many times because there's you know there's more to the team than just Ilkay Gundogan. But the impact that his goals and his performances have had now during this period yeah. over a consistent amount. Yeah, of time, yeah. Why is it always at the end of the season? Yeah. Is, but that's why the plinth is there and the <laughs> you know the boots are on the statue, etc. Like never mind a contract. Sort the statue for <laughs> you know. That's probably that's what he's waiting on, really. I mean if they if they needed any more reason to sign a deal, just throw in there yeah, we'll go 
a statue for you as well. Of course. Yeah, sign this deal. <laughs> I mean, you'll get you'll get yourself a statue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, but um, yeah. So that was my bad take, and uh, I completely look like a fool, and I openly throw my hands up. And uh, this is my official apology to Okai Gundogan. Thank you for being uh, brilliant around May again. Well, uh, speaking on his behalf, Sam, apology accepted. There we go. Um, Adam, Sam mentioned it before, the the handball from uh, Jack Grealish. Um, it's it's one of them, I think, where mm. I don't want to spend too much time on, on the VAR, but yeah. we do have to kind of touch on some of the decisions because um, the, the handball, I guess, falls into the category of expected, unfortunate, not really what we want to see, but what we've come to expect, I guess. Yeah, exactly. The ball physically touches his hand, therefore it's handball. It's not... It's not intentional handball. I don't think it's within the spirit of the game to be trying to punish these type of things. And it just, they weren't in the game before that. And it really did turn the tie on its head. Luckily, we got our, no- our nose in front in the second half. So it didn't really matter, but it could have mattered. And it could have derailed, you know, our entire aims and objectives for the end of the season. And that's how big these type of decisions can be, certainly in the environment that it was made as well. But it's almost behind him. He hasn't got a clue what's going to happen. Um, it's subjective to what a natural body position is anyway. Uh, I know we'll have diagrams of uh, T-shirt lines and things like that, Posted, but when you're jumping in a defensive move, it's impossible to tie your hands behind your back well, the, and cut the, your hands off. This is my issue with the phrase natural body position because mm. natural body position is basically when you're standing still doing nothing, your arms yeah. up by your side. And it's like, <laughs> but like, genuinely, like, even when you're not a footballer, when you're yes. generally in life, how often are you in that natural body position? Like, you don't, you must spend what, like 15% of your day in it? I, like, I don't uh, know. I love that. Yeah, it's, I, we just, I don't think anyone wants to see handballs given for that, even though I don't know where. There's no clamour for it. Obviously, the opposing players want it at their time, but they'd be kicking off if it was at the other end. So deep down, no one wants it. And it just it's not in line with the spirit of a sporting competition. He's not intentionally putting it there. And we've seen, we've seen stupid ones in the Munich game um, in the Champions League as well. So both sides got stupid handball penalties. Mm. So it's just the, the a, a thing for me didn't need. The thing for me as well on those kind of decisions, now I don't think any player would probably admit this if it's going going their way and of course you Correct. know you, you want to get every advantage possible in yeah. a game of football so it's great when it goes for you but I actually think players are probably embarrassed as well when it happens like and, and you can almost sense that like I think you know you can sense that the players sympathize for for when it happens like Jack Grealish in his post-match interview was great like explained it really clearly and was saying everything that we all saw and, and knew and I'm sure you know, even though it went for them, they're probably in Aaron Wambasaka will probably sympathise with with him for that because it's Well he knows next week when he's when he's jumping for a ball and it goes over his head and he misses it, if the if the other player heads it on his hand, then it's a penalty. It's like well, Of course. It's just not, is yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's <laughs> um but I you know, we're having the debate about it and I, I the the one thing I just hope that they do is is if there is to be a rule change, they change it before the start of the season, they tell everybody, they let everybody know and they don't change it like the offside rule halfway through a match when Marcus Rashford is. <laughs> you've been, you've been lining that one up, haven't you? Yeah. <laughs> but no, it's um, it, it's one of them, isn't it? It's like no, we don't want to see that. That's not what the game's about. And it's like, come on, a bit of common sense. Like that's the thing. It's, it's just absolutely lacking common sense. And it's just going, oh well, these are the rules, and the rules are the rules. It's like, well, it's just. Yeah, we can do something about that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's like it's complete anti-football, and it's not common sense. It's not in the spirit of the game. And I'd, you know, I'd, I'd absolutely, actually, what I'd really like 
when it comes to the rules and these sorts of things. I'd love it if there was like an anonymous players poll. You know, Premier League players had their say. Because I think that'd be really interesting and really telling. And again, going back to my point, I actually think that a lot of the players would sympathise for anybody who has to go through that, like, you know, that unfortunate, oh, rules are rules, and it yeah. flicked your hand, even though you were a metre away, weren't looking. And But I, I, it also leads to things like, you know, the Liverpool, remember the Liverpool Spurs Champions League final? And I think it was like 10 minutes in or something like that. And the balls deliberately played onto the hand of whoever it was in the box and Liverpool get a penalty. Like, it could lead to players playing for those decisions as well, which is exactly what we don't want to see because that is that is anti-football, isn't it? We want to see you play the ball around and put it in the back of the net, not oh try and get an advantage by trying to get a player to handball it sort of thing, you know, yeah. kicking a ball towards a player's hand. That's the, the, exactly the th- what we want to avoid. The other side of this as well is you look where Grealish is and you look where Wan-Bissaka is and you kind of go, well, how does that situation translate into a free shot at goal from the centre of goal? I know, yeah. like, it's, it's just it, like the the punishment is so disproportionate to what the what the offence was in that in that situation. I mean, in, in many ways, Sam, as well. Um, like So the VAR process... Paul Tierney describes what he's seen to the VAR, who was David Coote. David Coote then looks at the video and sees if it matches up. So, I, And if it doesn't match up, he then recommends a, 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 that the referee goes to, to view the video and, and, and see what uh, and, and have, a, have a look at the incident properly. With that in mind, what could Paul Tierney have possibly said to him <laughs> when De Bruyne goes through and Fred takes his ankles because all, all I'm thinking is like like he, all he can possibly have said surely in that situation is yeah I thought he I, he's absolutely clattered him but it's not a penalty. <laughs> yeah, I mean your guess is as good as mine to be honest with you. Again, like it it probably comes down to there's probably some rule I don't know Article six point eight <laughs> of the you know the penalty decision guidelines where it's oh well you know if they're not running in this particular way and it's not having an influence on this kind of, you know, it's just like a bit unfathomable, isn't it? The the amount of rubbish, <laughs> really. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't know what, I don't, honestly don't know. You'll have to ask, you'll have to ask the VAR and the referee. And this is why I think it'd be great. Again, I think we're getting into a bit of a wider debate now around these decisions in VAR, um, but it's important we have it. And hopefully, you know, someone's listening that can have an impact on this, but I'd love to know, like what the VAR is communicating with the referee, and I'd love to be able to hear that. Like, I, why shouldn't? It's bad enough when you. I, I think it's an absolute disgrace that fans in the ground don't see the VAR, but people at home get to see it. Um, I think that's uh, really poor. I think it's really poor that we don't get to hear what the refs are discussing. And, and I think actually, from a you know from a PR perspective, it'll do the refs the world of good if they're effectively communicating their reasoning for giving fouls, not just, I'm sure they do it to the, with the players on pitch because they'd have to. And you, you can actually see them communicating with players quite often when they are going to VAR, etc., or they're waiting for an offside to be checked. I think they actively communicate that to the players, but I think something more needs to be done to communicate that to fans, what's going on with VAR. Yeah. Because I think ultimately um, we are all in favour of, VAR in in principle in the fact that it, well if it's going to eradicate stupid decisions great uh, it needs an element of common sense but actually we also need to know what's going on yeah 
the the final decision, Adam, was uh, Casemiro on a Kanji, which <laughs> is it's it's one of those borderline ones. So it, again, here's the process. So uh, the foul was given in the first instance for a Kanji on Casemiro, which ultimately looks like the wrong decision from the video. Uh, the VAR can't give a yellow card to uh, Casemiro. It can only give a red card. It can't give a City free kick unless it finds a red card. And ultimately, the VAR decided that there wasn't a red card. So the only outcome that we can have there, even though we've seen the incident on video, <laughs> is a United free kick for a foul by a United player. It's it's ridiculous. On first viewing, uh, Akanji overran the ball. So I thought... It looked like he was the one going in on Casemiro, so I understood why it was given the other way uh, in real time. Then, when you've gone to to check it on the VA on the video, you can clearly see um, Casemiro's gone right over onto uh, Akanji's ankle, and I can't see anything other than a red card. And the limited number of reds that I do speak to know that they got away with one there as well. So it's not even like it's you know, us uh, bitter blues looking at it with our blue tinted glasses on. They know they got away with one as well. Just there's no excuse for that uh, to, once it's been looked at to not be given anything other than a red card. I can totally see why, like I say, in the in the run of play, it looked like it was an overstretch from a Kanji from me. But on review, you, 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 there's no angle on, the, on that that's possibly showing you anything other. So, yeah. again, we're just yeah. perplexed. And, again, it adds to the... You know, it adds to the kind of the hard done by kind of, uh, you know, emotion of the game because then you just, you, you know, they've got away with one. It always seems to be them that get away with one against us when it comes to referees. And I hate saying I stuff want, like that. I but. wanted to tap into that though, Adam, because Sam, you, you talked before about feeling nervy towards the end of the game and, and with City missing chances. And I, like it's it's actually when you look at, at the overall performance and the and the result from the game, I think City have been quite impressive there because it feels like if, even if you know even if the independent panel come back and say these three three VAR decisions were the correct ones, it doesn't feel like they're the correct ones. And when you're in the moment, you can very <laughs> yeah. easily get into that mindset of everything's against us. What's the point? Because we're just gonna whatever we do, we're gonna yeah. be we're, we're we're up against it. We get and into so, Jose City, Mourinho territory yeah. there, don't we? Everyone's <laughs> yeah. against us. <laughs> and, but City didn't do that. They just got on with the game and went yeah. on and won it. Because they know that they're a quality side, and they know that you know they, these are the the things they're going to face. These are the you know the situations that teams are going to try and do that. Teams are going to try and rumble City to, to to stop them playing their way, and that's a tactic that will be employed by Inter Milan as well, which the guys will talk about later on, I'm sure. But like, that's what that's part of teams' game plan. You know, you, uh, stop them playing at all costs because that's what they do best, and that is how they will beat Manchester City and the way. Um, the way they do that week in, week out, they're very drilled, etc. But I think that's, um, yeah, you know, testament to the players that they just got on. And I think that's, I think that's what's really pleasing. The mentality of this Manchester City side under Pep Guardiola is they just kind of brush things off really. Yeah, and of course, sometimes you know the likes of Jack Grealish will get a bit heated, but you know that's just part. I think that's part and parcel of the game, and that's the sort of his sort of character, etc. But um, in, to, in general, you know, they, they do tend to brush off any any adversity that comes their way. And, and I think actually, like, even though we went, we equalised and went, it, the game went to one all, I wasn't massively, like, worrying. I was very calm. Like, I, you know, the, the way they were playing, it was like, look, you know, they're going to get more opportunities and more opportunities. And I think that's how the players feel as well. Like, the, the, the players give off that vibe to the fans and I very much feel that calmness from them which isn't something that I don't think we've experienced 
much of before in the past, but the way they, as this team has developed through games like Aston Villa last season, etc., like, um, you know, going to the Bernabeu, drawing one all, but then absolutely obliterating them, or even, you know, the, the experience that they had when they threw threw away the 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 game at, at the Bernabeu, oh, I say throw away, Real Madrid, sort of, you know. Nicked it, um, stole it. Yeah, nicked, stole it, yeah. That, but those experiences that this team has, has developed and, and has gone through, they've really grown through that mentally, and now we're reaping the rewards from that because you can see that cycle of... And I think it's the same for the manager, you know, because I think, again, this is one that I'm sure the guys will touch on later in the episode, but the way we've seen this development of Guardiola and I know it's a bit of a joke that oh let's wait and, uh, and in fact actually let's wait until we see the team sheet before Saturday <laughs> but <laughs> that it's the same thing it's like that evolution you know mentally this team's gone through an evolution the manager's gone through an evolution of finding his best team etc and um yeah that was really evident on Saturday despite all these little things that were designed to to break City's momentum to stop them playing etc they don't let it get to them anymore um, yeah. and they just focus on their job yeah. and it's yeah it's, it's proving very successful um on the Casemiro thing just very quickly I know um we've got a lot to get in in this show but this is where we need communication why is that not a red card like I'd love to know I'd love for the referees to come out and say well it's not a red card because of this um yeah. but obviously also, ultimately they've decided it's reckless not dangerous well I don't really have anything to say to that, to be honest with you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a couple of players to finish on for the first part of the show. Uh, starting with uh, John Stones, Adam. Uh, another incredible performance. The bravery that he showed on the ball, especially. There was there was a dummy in the second half with the score of yeah. 2-1 with about five minutes left. He's facing his own goal and he just turns and takes five United players out of uh, out of commission. And if he, if he gets that wrong, they're clean through. It's kind of like, all right then, yeah, you've got this one, haven't you, John? Yeah, didn't, didn't Guardiola once say that John Stones had bigger balls than everybody in the room? Oh, yes. And that yeah, was yeah. that was prime example of that. To turn on the edge of your box, to take the sting out of the United press and then start a, a break the other way was just fantastic. The way he just he just almost has an elevated presence on the pitch now. And obviously when, when you know he's in the starting lineup and he can create that box midfield with Rodri and then Diaz behind him and then Walker, that, those four that just kind of create this solid block in front of the uh, in front of the goalkeeper just makes me feel 10 times better when he's in the team now. Yeah, and uh, the other player, Sam, is uh, Stefan Ortega, who I think um, the, the kind of spotlight hasn't been on him after this FA Cup game, but he made a cracking save right at the end with like just before that, that scramble where Stones headed the crossbar. Yeah, I think it was it from, um, was it Garnacho? Yeah. Um, but look, again, just a calming presence. You know, Edison, I, I don't think we've, when we look at seasons gone past, when we look at the goalkeepers, there's always been Edison who has been that sort of calm influence on the back four. But then uh, the the goalkeeper that's come in following him has been the complete opposite. Whereas um, Ortega is, is, you know, like for like with Edison, to be honest with you. He, he's, he's comfortable with the ball at his feet. He's, um, you know, this is something that we say, don't we, about City goalkeepers. They don't have to make that many saves, but when they do, they have to make them. And uh, he proved that on, on Saturday. Um, so, yeah, it's it's great. Um, it's great to have that. And I'm hoping that that also, those performances that he puts in, gives Edison even more competition. So yeah. uh, I think it's healthy, isn't it, all around? Yeah.
Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. You can listen to the show ad-free by joining our Patreon. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. We're going to turn our attention now to uh, the Champions League final on Saturday. Saturday will be City's third European final, and so far, City's record is very finely balanced at 1-1, lost one. I've been speaking to the football historian, Dr Gary James, to hear more about City's previous European finals. I started by asking how much of an achievement it was already for City to have made it this far. Oh, it's it's incredible. It's hugely significant. Um, we've, we've not had as much success in Europe as, as I think we perhaps could have done um but reaching a third major final and not just back the spread you know from 1970 to to now it's it's not as if they're all coming in a, a three-year period you know we, we were in europe in a european final in 1970 so it's hugely significant and when you think of so many great teams that haven't been there or haven't had european success you know it's 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 wonderful and I can't wait. I really can't wait. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, this uh, this final should City go on to win it, it would complete uh, a treble, which has been uh, there's been comparisons made to United's treble in uh, in '99. Um, you're you're not particularly keen on those comparisons, though, are you? No. I mean, uh, football moves on. So, so there's been been this big story. It's 24. You know, 24 years ago, 1999, uh, United have a treble and City were going for promotion, right? Well, we all know that. We are sort of, those of us old enough experienced that. 24 years before United had their treble, so back in 1975, United were going for promotion. So people have been saying, oh, well, you know, um, 24 years for City, they've gone from the depths of this level to that level and so on. And that's... It, that's strange, or that's whatever, you know, or, or City with this small club that, that got lucky. Well, United went from 75 being down there, down, you know, getting getting promotion to winning a treble in the same number of years. So I think that's remarkable. The other reason why I'm, I'm not that keen is that in a 24 year period, so much changes. If you think about it, you've got to be well into your 30s to even be able to contemplate whether 1999 was better than than current City, if City are lucky enough to get the treble. Um, no, I don't. I don't know about you, but you know, before the age of 30, or when you're a little child, does it does it does it really matter what happened all those years ago? I don't know. I mean. I'm an historian, so obviously it does matter to me, and it, it always matters. But United's treble was remarkable, absolutely remarkable. And so will cities if they manage to achieve it. Um, it'll be something worth celebrating. It'll be fantastic. But directly comparing them to say, oh, we had more homegrown players than you, or we spent this, or you spent that. Football's different. Completely and it's different, different context, isn't it? Yeah. Every generation is different. And in 1999, I was just in my 30s. I had two kids. Um, if you'd have said to me, 
could I compare Manchester United's 1975 promotion winning team, because that's 24 years earlier, to Manchester City's promotion winning team in 1990? I'd have said, no, how can I compare? You know what? <laughs> What's the relevance? It's just a different era. Um, yeah. And we should celebrate it. You know, we did the City have done the double already this year, right? And for many, many years, the double was seen as something that was virtually impossible. Could you imagine if straight after winning the double, somebody would have said, yeah, but how does it compare to Preston back in 1889? <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just bonkers, isn't it? You know, yeah. football moves on. If, if we're talking about United winning the treble last year, that's different. If we're talking about comparing City's um, Premier League title this year to Liverpool's from the, a couple of years ago, that's different. You know, you can you can do that to some extent because it's similar. But once it's more than twenty years ago, it's for some people, it's ancient history. You know, if you're if you're thirty, you don't even remember it, do you? You know. Yeah. It's that age-old comparison of, uh, of of who was the better player, David Silva or Colin Bell. It's just impossible to the oh, different generations. Yeah, yeah. Absol- absolutely. And do you know what? The, what? Along those lines, I think I've probably told you this before. I interviewed Johnny Williamson, a you know former City player who unfortunately has passed away now. But Johnny Williamson played with both Frank Swift and Bert Troutman, and I asked him the question: Who was better, Swift or Troutman? And he said, "It doesn't matter." You pick one and I'll have the other because the two of them were better than everybody else. And that, in a sense, is what, what we're talking about with, with the treble. United's treble was incredible and their fans will always talk about that as being the greatest. If City manage the treble this weekend, we'll talk about that as being the greatest, I have no doubt. But for any neutral, you pick one and I'll pick the other because they're, they're both brilliant teams and, and that's maybe the way it should be. Yeah. Now you mentioned uh, 24 years before uh, United's treble was uh, 75. Well, City had been in the European final uh, not long before that in 1970. Um, obviously, that, I mean that that's that's a, 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 a an era away for for a lot of fans. Uh, what what did that first final mean for City, the European Cup Winners' Cup final in uh, in 1970? It's well, it it was a major major achievement at the time the UEFA, the european cup winners cup was uefa's second most important tournament um the first cup was a it wasn't run by uefa for start but the first cup sometimes was invitation um barcelona for example got invited because they they'd had a trade fair london put a team forward one year so the their first cup although it was a significant competition couldn't directly compare but the european cup winners cup Malcolm Arson at the time boasted that City winning the European Cup, Winners' Cup, was a bigger achievement than United winning the European Cup because they won it at Wembley. Now, we've just talked about comparisons, but he's talking in 1970 about something that happened in 68, so maybe we can let this one go, let go with this we, one. We, yeah, we can, let, we can allow him to we'll have, have that one, can't we? We'll have this one. But what he was trying to say is that City were basically playing in another country not in at home. Wembley Stadium is basically home for an English club, isn't it? Um, and he also talked about other teams that had won, you know, like the, the first cup and so on. So basically, he was saying that the European Cup Winners' Cup final in 1970 was more significant. Now, whether it was or it wasn't is open to debate. But the fact is that City won that major European trophy 
years before Liverpool had ever won a European trophy, years before Juventus um, and, you know, even Barcelona hadn't won a UEFA tournament before City. So it's, it's, it is significant. It's a major landmark. And it came at a time when, you know, City won the league, they'd won the FA Cup, they'd won the League Cup, and then they won the European Cup and his Cup. And it was one of those... It was the progression. It was, you know, like each step. I suppose if you were thinking about it in terms of significance, you'd probably start with the League Cup instead and then the FA Cup and then the League, you know, and then the European Trophy. But it ends up that the European Cup and this Cup is the, the last of those four trophies. And, you know, both Neil Young and Francis Lee scored in that final, who were two of the greatest goal scorers around in football, never mind for City. Um, it's Francis Lee's birthday as well, wasn't it, that day? Yeah, and there's loads of stories. Um, I remember interviewing somebody who said that when they, <laughs> after the game, they had a celebration and Harry Godwin, who was the chief scout, um, who a lot of people might, a lot of old fans might remember from his involvement with Junior Blues as well. But Harry Godwin was playing the piano and apparently Francis Lee was dancing on top of it in his underpants. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I asked Francis Lee about this. Um, in the 90s, actually, I asked Francis Lee, and he said, oh, no, no, I don't remember that. But they did have wild celebrations, you know. I've, I've heard lots of things about that. And also, when it was the 25th anniversary of this, I interviewed a few fans um, wanting their stories about travelling. Um, so this is mid-90s um, when I'm writing this. And um, fans were talking about how they basically got a van and just drove across Europe to Vienna for the final, Paid on the day, got into the final, it was pouring down and it was just a, one of those weird experiences. And those, you know, those of us who know how, how difficult it is to get tickets to, for Istanbul or are paying a fortune to get to the final, um, are probably a bit envious of, of how they managed it back in 1970 because I can't imagine any of us just being able to get in a van and drive all the way to Istanbul and pay on the day. It just wouldn't happen, would it? But that's yeah. what some of them did. There's no tickets on the door, is there? I mean, the, 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 other, the other aspect of this as well is uh, that was obviously City's first European final. The second one, uh, a couple of years ago in, in Porto, um, was kind of behind closed doors as well. So that does that add more significance, do you think, to this weekend? Yes, it does. Now, I was, I was really looking. I managed to get to, to Portugal for that final. And everything about it seemed right until, <laughs> until the team was announced. And I don't really want to get into all that. But, but things things seemed to change, the mood seemed to change a little bit and, and in the stadium it, it perhaps wasn't quite right. And I also think because the stadium couldn't be full, it didn't feel right either. But it was, and it was against an English team. And, and oh, right, I, I'll, I, I'll get this off my chest now. I Every time we've played an English team in Europe, it's not felt right for me. Um, Tottenham, we know what happened there. Liverpool, we know what happened there. And then, of course, Chelsea in the final. And I think that's that's the other thing about this season. It's felt bigger and better and more significant than two years ago. Because not only are we playing Inter Milan, who, let's face it, major club won major trophies, major European trophies for, for many, many, many years. Um, but we've also had to beat Real Madrid. We've also had to beat Bayern Munich. So... 
Yeah, and then of course the group stages and everything else that that everyone else would have to face. But but these last three games in Europe, if you like, our last three ties in Europe, are against three of the recognised European giants, and City have beat them convincingly so far, and hopefully will do the same against Inter Milan. Um, and I think that takes it to a different level. If we were playing any English team in the final it just wouldn't quite feel the same. But playing a major European team, I, I, I honestly didn't really care which Milan it would be in the final. I just felt that whichever one it would be, it would feel like it's something truly, truly significant. And as, uh, hopefully a full stadium, um, uh, although ticket prices work against fans as always, but hopefully a full stadium, but against Milan and hopefully City can do it. I just, it, it's, it's much, much more significant than two years ago, in my eyes, much more. Because if we'd have won it two years ago, people would have said, ah, oh, well, it was affected by COVID in some way. You know, I don't know. But this one, we've beat Europe's best to get to a final and hopefully we'll, we'll carry on doing that. Yeah. Now, we've talked about comparisons already, and this is a very unfair question to to finish on. But uh, obviously, if City were to win this weekend, it would be the first time winning the Champions League. How how would that compare as an achievement to, to what the achievement was for winning the European Cup Winners' Cup in, in 1970? Oh, it's, it's much bigger, isn't it? I mean, we can fool ourselves in thinking that the Cup Winners' Cup was the most important trophy at the time, like Malcolm Allison sort of said. Um but it wasn't the European Cup. It was the European Cup Winners' Cup. And as as great an achievement that was, as big an achievement as that was, it was not the Champions League. It was not the European Cup. And I think that's that this eclipses that. And not just that, you know, the teams we've had to face to get there. I know back in 1970, you know, we, we played Schalke, who were a major team at the time, and, and, but we, and we thrashed them. Um, but to be frank, the quality of the teams we've had to face to get to this final are much bigger than they were in 1970. Um, the status of the competition is much bigger. The global attention is much bigger. But not, you know, I, I I think in every every way you look at it, it's bigger. Back in 1970, the Cup Winners' Cup wasn't even live on television. I was going to say the, it clashed with the FA Cup replay, didn't it? Yeah, at Old Trafford of all places. You know, I mean, it's it's one of those things. But it, 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 they, we know the phrase "typical city." We know that phrase. Um, and back in 1970, it was typical city. You know, it was very much that our, our biggest European achievement happened to coincide with an FA Cup final replay at our neighbour's place, you know. Um, I Yeah, so this is bigger. What I would say is, I remember this, this the old, um, the curse that was supposed to be on Main Road and, and a lot of that links into the old typical city as well. When when I had that, the chat with Malcolm, I said, I, I actually made a, a comment about the old curse and uh, I said to him, people have said that that, that curse has, uh, has stopped us from, from winning certain things. Uh, I said, but we won the European Cup in this cup. You know, we it, it's impossible for that to have affected us. And he, he sat there next to me and he went, yeah, but maybe without the curse, we'd have won the European Cup. <laughs> uh, I thought, yeah, okay, Malcolm, I'll go with that one. Well, obviously, the curse was on Main Road. That's long since gone. We can forget all about that. Now we're in the Champions League final, so perhaps now, at last, we can we can achieve something we should have perhaps achieved back in the, the late 60s, early 70s. 
If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. That was Dr. Gary James speaking to me about City in European finals. Uh, Now, before we move on, next week's show is Blue Moon Podcast Live. The live show is back. We'll be back at Idle Hands Coffee on Dale Street in Manchester, and it's going to be on the evening of Wednesday, the 14th of June. I'll be hosting, though, with the usual panel of guests as well, and we can confirm that former City defender Keith Curl will be joining us as well. He'll be part of the show, so you can hear his thoughts on City this season, and we'll get all the reaction to this weekend's Champions League final as well. Tickets, if you want to be there, are £3 each. There's a small booking fee on top of that as well, and there are only a limited number left, and every penny of your £3 that you pay is going to be donated to the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. So come along, enjoy the show however this season ends. Details are on our Twitter feed, at Blue Moon Podcast, or you can buy your tickets by going to bmp2023.eventbrite.com That's bmp2023.eventbrite.com Now, time to look ahead to the game with Inter Milan and we have uh, freshened up the panel a bit. Gone are Sam and Adam. I'm now joined by City fans Bob Toole. Hello. And Chris Higginbottom. Hello there. So then, uh, Champions League final on Saturday. Uh, Bob, how are the nerves? I don't really have any, to be honest. Uh, I am quite excited about it and I think in recent months, the big games that have come up, with the exception of last weekend, I've been really excited about. Um like the Arsenal one, I was just sort of quietly confident and thought, well, if we turn up, we we will do it. Um, and I feel very much like that about this weekend as well. Dangerous thought. Like, Chris, are you nervous at all? I am. <laughs> I am and I'm not. So basically, I'm flitting from one mood to the other, um, which is reflected by the sort of flip-flopping feeling in my stomach when I am at my nerviest. On one one day, I'm like, well, you know, whatever will be, will be. If we're meant to win it, we'll win it. What's the point in worrying about, worrying about it? And that quickly, uh, like, transmutes into, oh, God, it's this again. <laughs> you know. Uh, so, yeah, I'm sort of lurching between a casual acceptance of, of what the fates have in store and, um, you know, desperate plea, plea bargaining with uh, the other gods. Yeah, plea bargain with the devil will be uh, will be the death of most City fans, I think, in the end. Um, well, yeah, Bob, uh, does it make a difference for you going into this one? As I, I don't think City went in against Chelsea as clear favourites. They're just, kind of just marginal favourites. They're, they're very much clear favourites for this one. Does that change anything for you? Um, I not so much the favourites tag, but the fact that it's not against uh, another English team, I think, is quite important because. Last time, there was those weird games in the build-up to it against Chelsea, like the FA Cup and that league game, where Pep just played really understrength weird teams and it was, it was almost like he was trying to hold something back for the final and then just went mental in the final anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's more of a factor than the favourites thing because we're. I, I don't know whether I'm misremembering it. I, I thought we were pretty overwhelming favourites last time as well. Um, but, maybe maybe I've just reimagined it because of how it went. I don't know. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, I I, I, I could be entirely wrong about it as well, though. But yeah, I, th- I mean, there's a lot of pressure on being the overwhelming favourites, isn't there? Really, um, especially when it, I know Inter Milan and it's Italian football aren't what they were like 20 years ago. But it's absolutely mental in my mind that 
we are such overwhelming favourites against a team that's won that competition three times. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure how much of a difference it will make on the day, the, the whole favourites tag. But, yeah, I think it's more... The fact that it's not against an English team is probably more of a, a factor for me. Yeah. Uh, Chris, for you, um, is, is there any... What will make this final difference to the one against Chelsea a few years ago? Well, winning it. <laughs> um, but I, I don't really, I don't really get this this favourites thing, this overwhelming favourites, and marginal favourites. Last time, last time, although I was similarly, you know, bricking it, I was also confident. I was, you know, I was more confident last time about it um, because I just thought, well, we know enough about. I know that it was it's a bit of a two-shell hoodoo and. The, done well against us in certain games but I just thought we had enough in the tank to to beat them I was convinced we were going to and then um, obviously your sort of mentality starts to implode when you see the team sheet and you think well how, how does that work like why <laughs> of course he's playing the holding midfield he's not is he you know that was that was like <laughs> scary stuff and this time, everyone's saying we're the overwhelming favourites against a team. An Ital- First, they're Italian, so you know what you, you kind of... Well, you, you know what to expect, or you think you do, in terms of how gritty and grinding and negative in terms of not just the setup, but the way that they will um, try and niggle and intimidate players. Although Fiorentina against West Ham last night, they were... Uh, Quite direct, and you know, that was quite, you know, quite good to see. But as well as being an Italian team and there being a stereotype there that you you expect to see, they're into Milan. They're not just any Italian team. We've got real pedigree, and in this competition, yeah. I was just thinking, like, what's what's the Italian for dog and duck? Um, I don't know. Probably something um, more, you know, cosmopolitan and attractive sounding. <laughs> Mind you, you could probably. <laughs> Probably say the, the broken bottle and fag end in Italian, and it'd sound, uh, you know, quite nice. But um, <clears throat> it's no name for a pub. But the fact that they're Italian, the fact that they're into Milan, and their forward line scares the shit out of me a little bit. <laughs> is that just because um, it's Jacko though? Is that is that part of the problem? Well, Jacko probably um, the least of of the issues. But yes, I mean, we know what he's, he's, he's thirty seven now, isn't he? Ah, it's a good question. I think he's keep, like keep, keep going, I'll find out. Keep going, I'll find out. Yeah. Um, it's Martinez, uh, I find a very exciting player. I've always been an admirer of his. I kind of had him, you know, not lined up because so it's not like my business to do so. But I would have, cons- you know, it would have been high in my like packing order of suitors to replace Aguero. Um I've always liked him. I think it was a similar, he's a similar style to Aguero in, so, in terms of his movement and the goals he scores. Um, he's a great player. Lukaku doing really well there. Um, I mean, we know it's a, there's, that, there's that horrible sort of football romance element with Jacko as well in that wouldn't it just be typical? You know, I mean, I don't know how many people have made the point about I'll oh, wait till Jacko gets the last minute winner. But as most, as, Unlikely as that is, would you be massively surprised if that took place? <laughs> no, it's what it's it's the rule of football, isn't it? By the way, uh, Jekko is thirty-seven, and yeah. uh, Ilkane e la Antra. and 
E. <laughs> Len. Your accent is Lan- stunning, Lan- by There we go. There we go. That's, that, that's Italian for dog and duck. There we go. Right. Uh, can't, can't say I don't do my research. Um, <laughs> Bob, any for, for you, um, is there anything to be read into the fact that City have been to a European final recently and lost? They, they've, they've got that experience. I don't know if it's, if it's as simple as Guardiola can go into the dressing room and go, listen, don't feel like you did two years ago. Um, I think it's going to help because uh, a lot of the players that will play on Saturday will have played a couple of years ago, so they'll want to right a few wrongs. Um, but just that experience of that unique pressure of that fixture is going to help, I'm sure. So, um, yeah, and you'd like to think Pep will have learned his lesson about not playing a really bizarre team that he's not really played all season. Um and he, he, so far in the tournament and the big games this season, it seems like he's got pretty much the same eleven that he plays. Like you would imagine, I think that he would play the same team as the FA Cup final with Edison in goal. Um, if he doesn't, that would just—I think—I wouldn't be the only one that'd be really surprised. Yeah. So yeah, I think. Um, that I think yeah, that it's going to be so fresh in players' minds. Like De Bruyne, obviously got like walloped and quite badly injured in the last final. So that's going to stick in his memory. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I put it mildly, I think. <laughs> um, so, yeah, he's he's going to want to prove a point and I'm sure the other players will that, that played in that match. Yeah, well, uh, we'll come to the specifics of the selection that you want to see shortly. Uh, but first, have a listen to this. This is uh, Guardiola talking about what's different now to the final in 2021. Well, one week ago, we won the FA Cup. A few days ago, FA Cup. In that moment, we were just preparing a final that we arrived losing the two, the last two or three times against two times against them, against Thomas Tuchel team before. And we had some doubts about uh, we should do it and... In that time when we played the final Champions League, we had an incredible good season in the Premier League, so we were playing really, really good that year, quite similar now. It's not much difference. Maybe for the fact we are again there, and always I had the opinion that as much you arrive in the finals one day, maybe you are lucky, and you can win it. So it's difficult just arrive once in your lifetime and win it. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. So just on that, Bob, do you think it's important now for this final that City have had a competitive game before it? In that you, you think back to 2021, they'd won the title with a few games to go. They, you know, they were coasting to the end of the season and then they had the Champions League final. Whereas now they've had that FA Cup final to kind of I I, I know I know you don't want to use the, the FA Cup final to get back into the swing of things, but they are back in the swing of things. They've got that momentum back, haven't they? Yeah, I think it's an ideal game because before the FA Cup final, that starting eleven hadn't really played for properly in like a real game that meant anything for quite a while, uh, quite a few weeks. So, and I think in the performance you could tell really that that was the case. So I think by the end of the ninety minutes, they really had to fight quite hard for that win last week. So I think that's like really good preparation for this because it's kind of. I think by the end of the game, they were really starting to, although they were hanging on a little bit, they were a lot more in, in a better rhythm than in, in the first half. Yeah. So I think that would definitely help. But also, yeah. I, a couple of years ago, 
I think the the final was the second game that they'd played in front of actual people for like a whole season. Um, and obviously that's irrelevant in, in this circumstance. So like I kind of do wonder whether the whole crowd thing um, may have played into it a little bit a couple of years ago. But obviously that's not the case this year. And they're, they're used to playing in front of thousands of people every week again. Yeah. Yeah, the, I mean, the other thing that Guardiola said there, Chris, was, um, I mean, it kind of taps into Bob's point about it being into Milan and a team that you don't normally play in, that they played Thomas Tuchel sides, you know, twice in the run-in and, and like, it was, that you, you got the sense of what that final game was going to be like. Into Milan, as, you know, as as unpredictable and as, uh, as, as tricky as they may be, they are a team that City haven't faced. Yeah, I mean, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it, whether it's an advantage or not. Um there's a level of unknown quantity, which could be a problem. But then, familiarity obviously didn't prove to be advantageous against Chelsea. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's really that much of a factor. I think more of a factor, um, like Bob was saying, is the fact that uh, we've had more of a momentum and rhythm with this one, with the the. T- team that you probably more or less would expect to be playing played in the FA Cup. I mean, do you think they played they seem to there seems to be a real professional sort of maturity about the way they played that FA Cup game. Do you feel they played within themselves a bit? They didn't seem to be I mean obviously scoring after twelve seconds does help <laughs> you, chill out, you chill out a bit in terms of desperately going off the leather after the game. It settles but the nerves, doesn't it? Yeah. It does somewhat, yeah. Um but they did seem to be playing in a way that looked like they, I mean, obviously they did know, but it was sort of the way they played expressed that it wasn't their last game of the season, if that makes any sense. I know what you mean. Yeah, they were building to this one, I guess. Yeah. Um, And to be able to do that and still win against, I mean, because United were really going for it and they put us under more pressure than most teams um, do. And can, and we withstood it, you know, consummately. Really, it's very impressive. Um, so, yeah, they just seemed very, very confident. Pep there sounded like almost eerily calm, um, relaxed. Yeah, yeah. The, the the players, they know what they've got to do. They've they've been there before. They know what the the heartache of defeat is, and. I mean, if not now, when? Yeah, well, I mean, that's the that's something else that Guardiola was saying there, uh, Bob, was... Uh, I mean, just to, to kind of build on Guardiola's final point, Inter's last final was in 2010. Uh, they won 2-0 against Bayern. So, uh, sure, they've won a kind of final relatively recently. But the only player that Inter had in, the, in their side that day that now isn't retired is Mario Balotelli. He's currently uh, FC Sion in, in Switzerland. At the same time, Nine of City's starting eleven from the last final could play in this game, so so City have experience of having been on that big stage. Okay, they lost it, but they've they've been they've understood the pressure of a final more recently. Yeah, um, I mean, I think into like obviously not in Europe in the the last what was it thirteen years? I've not been in the final again, but didn't, they won the Italian Cup this season, didn't they? So. Um, like they've had got obviously got a recent experience of winning finals, so um, that's going to help them a bit, you would think. 
But like with Inter, though, I mean, I know it's a final, so it's slightly different. But if we'd drawn them in the last 16 or had them in the groups, you wouldn't really be that worried about it. You'd think surely we're, it may be a challenging, but we'd overcome it. But I think obviously everything's heightened when it's a final. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. How is Balotelli living in Switzerland? Like, isn't that like one of the most chilled, kind of conservative of the small C countries ever? You can't even. In Switzerland, you can't even hang clean washing out. You can't hang your laundry out in public view. Did you know that? I didn't you're know that. To, you're not allowed to wash your car on your own on your drive in case the uh, in case any oil washes into the, the water table. And you also that. have to you have to keep your nuclear bunker clean and tidy with a supply for I think it's two months food. And it gets regularly inspected. I have this Wait, in good authority. Hang on, you you don't do that. <laughs> uh, currently, it's only about six weeks worth of beans in my nuclear bunker. Yeah, which I mean, frankly, you'd need a sub bunker within that bunker to protect you from the effects of that. Yeah, more more fool you, more fool you. If anything, um, let's let's drag ourselves kicking and screaming back to the game. Um, oh yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, Higgy, for for you, I mean, uh, in terms of of team selection, assuming everybody is fit. The team kind of picks itself, but for maybe one or two positions, because I'm wondering if if Kyle Walker's playing, it's then Akanji or Ake at left back, isn't it? So, like, how how do you see that shaping up? Where do where do you, what would you like to see? Well, I mean, who do we expect on that side for Inter? I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, I'd probably just because Aki has been recently back from fitness. Uh, Kanji's been playing so well. Some idiots doubted him. I don't know who they were. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I'd probably stick with the Kanji um, because he's in such a fine vein of form. Um, and then I suppose the other position is we're talking about, um, you know, Bernardo, Foden, Mares. One of those three who can kind of, you know, you, you put the ball in the in the roulette and see which one comes out for those. Personally, I'd have um, Bernardo starting, and then depending on how the game goes, Foden or Mares can give you a different option to change things. Yeah, yeah. I don't that, know well, that that was going to be my next question, Bob, because I I assume Jack Grealish starts. So after that, it's kind of who who's going to play on the opposite flank, and you know if Grealish is playing is playing wide left, then you know Bernardo's played well on the right, Mares has played well on the right, Foden played well on the right in the uh, in the derby at the, at the start of the season, but doesn't play there that often. Um, there is a little bit of a decision to be made there. Yeah, it's a tricky one. I mean, but it's a, the kind of decision he's been making all season, hasn't it? Because they've all been there. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it's got to be Bernardo um, to start because after what he did against Munich and uh, Madrid, he's kind of earned, earned it, I think. Um, but then again, against United in the final, when Foden came on, he looked so sharp and he's really good wasn't up he, yeah. for it. Like so, if that that must have made it really hard for Pep, I think, because I didn't expect him to be looking that good when he came on because he's not played a lot of football in, well, this season, really, because he's had a lot of injuries, but certainly in recent weeks as well. But I would go with Bernardo, and then I'd love to see Phil come on, um, hopefully in a comfortable situation. Um, But even if it's, 
we need a goal or whatever, like what a great player to be able to bring on to to hopefully do that. Yeah, if there's one, if there's one player in the squad, I'm going to ask both of you this question. If there's one player in the squad uh, that gets to score the winning goal that you get to pick, who is it? Philip Foden all day long. You reckon? Yeah. I I would I would normally say that, but the, I'm going to say a slightly different one just because of some uh, Edison something. <laughs> if, no, this is, no, if this is Calvin Phillips, if this is how <laughs> if this is how Guardiola's played his holding midfielder, and it's Calvin Phillips. Well, I feel whatever I'm going to say now is going to be disappointing. But um, <laughs> yeah, something, something my uh, son did yesterday at nursery um, was making me say this. So apparently, there's some little lad at nursery started talking about the FA Cup final, and then my son Noah sort of overheard and joined in the conversation started talking about John Stones because he's got this little John Stones uh, little figurine, you know, those little ones with a tiny body and massive head. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I've started to teach him a John Stones song. So I was so proud of him that he just started talking about John Stones in nursery, completely unprompted. So with that in mind, I'd love to see John Stones uh, score the winner. Come on, John, do it for little Noah. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's what we'd like to see. Yeah. Yeah, um, we got the charity back coming up a bit later on. Uh, I'm going to put you two on uh, predictions. So, um, Chris, I'm going to let you go first. What are you having? Well, I'll go for two one, but I just don't like two one. Two one city, Bob. What are you having? Um, I will go three nil city. Um, but I do have a question: Is the, if it's three nil, is the winner the first goal or the third goal? Oh, I see. That's a good question. I don't know the answer to that question. I can't give you an answer to that question. I'm sorry. Yeah, it's fine. Maybe just John Sainz will have to score a hat trick then. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All bases covered. I, I, I tell you what, the odds you would get on a John Stones hat trick, you know, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm not going to run that, but goodness me, that would uh, make us for life, wouldn't it? Get a dollop of City Nostalgia every Monday. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Let's get a view from the other side of the fence ahead of Saturday's final. Dan Burke has been speaking to Interfan Francesco Pozio from CBS Sports and the Here We Go podcast. He started by asking how Interfans were feeling about facing City. Well, not very optimistic, to be <laughs> honest with you, because we know the Man City are very the favourite for, for the final this, this time. But of course, it's a incredible and unexpected opportunity to win the competition, because let's be honest, when the draw... We, we had the draw last, last August. Inter was uh, with uh, Barcelona and Bayern Munich in the same group stage. Only few could imagine that Inter could go through the, the group stage. And uh, now Inter in the final. So you can see that there is a incredible and unexpected uh, season uh, on the European level. Inter had a great season in Champions League, uh, won against AC Milan in the semifinals, which was an incredible uh, thing for the for the Inter fans because Inter always lost against AC Milan, the city rivals. And so this year was unbelievable, the atmosphere at the stadium, also after the game. So I would say that, of course, talking about the final, Inter fans are not optimistic because we, we, we know that Man City are the leading candidate and favourites to win, win the, the competition. But, you know, never say never. <laughs> and what about the uh, the rest of Inter season? Obviously, you, you finished third. You like City. You won the won the cup. Won the Coppa Italia. Has it been a satisfactory season overall so far? I would say yes. Cons- uh, 
looking at everything, if you look all, just at the Serie A season, it was a disappointing season uh, because uh, regardless of the end of the season when Inter ended up in the top four, uh, Inter didn't challenge Napoli to win the title. And as we can see from the Champions League campaign, Inter had the possibility to do that and had the chances, had the, the squad, the, the roster. So uh, it was a disappointing Serie A season and also raised a lot of questions about uh, Simone Inzaghi's future. But as you said, Inter won all the, also the, the Coppa Italia, the domestic cup, and they are in the final of the Champions League. So uh, overall, now it's a positive season. But without the Champions League one, it was a disappointing one. Yeah, I, want, I, I wanted to ask about Inzaghi because he, it feels like he's been under pressure at times this season. There's been some talk about him losing his job. How, how do Inter fans feel about him at the moment? Uh, as always in football, opinions change all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and they happen to Inzaghi the same. You know, Inter lost 12 Serie A games, which is a lot. It's a lot losing 12 Serie A games in the, during the season out of 38 games. So uh, we're talking about basically uh, one third of the games of the of the of the season so uh there was one point where i couldn't see Inzaghi staying because he lost against clubs like like uh, spezia or like monza so not the big ones also smaller clubs uh so there was a moment where um, he, he faced a lot of pressure but then with the last two months he completely overturned the feelings also around the fan base and now he's a very 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 well considered coach by by the fan base as well also remember that Simone Zaghi arrived at the club after Antonio Conte. And mm. you remember when Antonio Conte left Inter, it seemed that everything was over for Inter. You know, yeah. they sold Lukaku, they sold Akimi. Uh, Eriksen was not there anymore because of the of the, um, the, the, the the cardiac arrest he had during the Euros. Conte was not there anymore. So there was a bad feeling around the club. Inzaghi brought a lot of energy, a lot of good energy. Uh, he was very optimistic, very, very, very uh, positive and in completely overturned the feelings around the fan base also last year. Inter lost the Scudetto to AC Milan, but the feeling was was good again. Um, so this season, I, I would say uh, he was saved by the Champions League campaign. Otherwise, probably we couldn't see Inzaghi on the intervention next season. Lautaro Martinez has been talking this week uh, about the game and he said, we've got to believe to be ourselves and face City with courage because they ought to be worried about facing us. Would you agree with that? Should City be worried about facing Inter? Uh, I think Man City should be worried uh, to play a Champions League final because the last time they did it, they lost to Chelsea and we know how I went. <laughs> Don't remind us. Uh, yeah, exactly. So like, uh, I think uh, it's it's always good to not, not underestimate your opponent. Uh, and it's important to do that. We know the Inter have a lot of capabilities. They have really good players, such as I will mention Nicolo Barella. I will mention the goalkeeper Onana, who has been incredibly good this season. Lautaro Martinez, Lukaku, Chananoglu. So they have the individual, a lot of good players. But uh, also, let's be honest, if you look at uh, the cycle that Manchester City started more than Six years ago, no, with with, with Pep Guardiola, mm. I mean, uh, they are the favorites. So it's 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 also the case to say that Inter should not be undermined, but at the same time, Man City are the favorites for the game. Yeah, one player you didn't mention there was a uh, former City striker Edin Dzeko, who of course scored against uh, Milan in the semi-final for Inter. How's he done this season? How how do Inter fans feel about him overall? Uh, his time at the club. 
I would say that it was one of the best signings Inter has done in the last 10 years. Edin Dzeko was incredible. Uh, not just because of the goals he scored. You mentioned the one against AC Milan, but I also can mention uh, others that were crucial during the season. But think about, he arrived as a free agent from Roma. Uh, the feeling was that, you know, he was the backup striker of, of, of uh, the replacement, sorry, of Romelu Lukaku, who joined Chelsea last season. Mm. And when Lukaku came back at Inter this season, Dzeko, yeah, okay, Lukaku had some big injuries and didn't play for a lot of games. But Dzeko was the main number nine for Inter. So it was crucial this season. And he's a sort of playmaker, striker, you know, he's, uh, he's that kind of player who mm. uh, makes your team playing better. So he's fundamental for Simone Inzaghi's way of playing as well. Uh, but also there are now some doubts about who should start between him or Lukaku, because Lukaku is in a very good form. So that will, I think that's the main questions for Inzaghi. My feeling, my prediction is that he will start with Dzeko. Because all the important games of the season, he started with Jaco and Lukaku was the, 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 the striker who came in in the second half, who could, you know, change the result and, uh, and the course of the game. How else do you think Inter might set up tactically in the final? How do you think they might try and stop City? Uh, <laughs> that's a very good question, especially considering uh, the, the impact Herling Haaland had this season on City. I think that's been... But you cannot focus just on Haaland because mm. if you focus on Haaland, then you forget about Bernardo Silva and then you forget about other players, Gundogan, who has been outstanding. So, like, it's impossible to focus just on one player. I will, I will predict the Inter will try to defend more in the first part of the game, try to not concede as, um, anything in the, in the first minutes, at least, and then trying to impose their way of, of, of playing football. Consider also the Inter play the better games this season when they were conducting the, 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 the plays. They were conducting the, the, the rhythm. They were conducting the, the, the moments of the game. The expectation is that will happen the opposite in this game against City because City will probably lead the game, the game especially in the first half. So that's probably the, 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 the biggest questions for Inzaghi, if Inter should be more careful or not than in the other games. And who are the weak links in Inter's team that you, uh, that you might be worried about? I think that the, with all due respect for, for, for players that did an incredible season, uh, I think Inter should be very much worried on the, on the, on the right side of the pitch, you know, with, when the, 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 the duo of Matteo Darmian and Denzel Dumfries, uh, because they will play against, uh, players that are doing incredible this season. Uh, so I think that the area where they should be worried about. Not because they're, they're not good enough, because Darmian, trust me, he has done an incredible season. He has done incredibly good. Also, also because he replaced Milan Skriniar, a player that until six months ago, it's impossible the Inter could play without Milan Skriniar, and they went into the final without him. So, of course, I think they, they, they need to be supported, they need to be trusted, but that's the part of the pitch where they should be more worried about. Mm. Is there a feeling going into this game that uh, Inter kind of have nothing to lose and do you think being the underdogs might, might suit Inter well? Yeah, that's the, basically the only, the, only, <laughs> <laughs> the, only, the only thing Inter can say because right now, you know, uh, the, the Marco, the, the, the Inter defender, said in the, in, the, in the press conference that, you know, for Inter, winning the Champions League is a dream for Manchester City, is an obsession which is something that Jose Mourinho said exactly the same word in 2010. 
about the final against Bayern Munich. Mm. I think it was the opposite, actually, in 2010, because Mourinho is a very, very good speaker, but it was actually an obsession for Inter winning the Champions League uh, in 2010. Uh, this season, I think Di Marco said the truth. Uh, not may- maybe not about the obsession of, of City, but for sure for Inter is a dream because nobody could expect Inter to be mm. here. So... I would say that that's something something that I can I can relate with. And finally, we have a charity bet on the Blooming Podcast, so I'm going to ask you to put your neck on the line and come up with a score prediction for the final in 90 minutes, please. Okay, I'm going three-one for Manchester City. Oh, not going to back your boys to spring a surprise now? <laughs> no, no, I'm going I'm going with Man City because I have to be honest with you, and I think that uh, City. We'll finally win it this time. So I hope for you. <laughs> we'll make it. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. You've made it this far, so don't give up now. That was One Football's Dan Burke speaking to Inter fan Francesco Porzio. Um, Dan joins me now. We've changed the panel up again. Uh, Dan, welcome to the show. Hello. Thanks for having me. You're in Istanbul, as is Dom Farrell from Sporting News. Hello, mate. How you doing? I'm not too bad, thanks. Uh, how are things in Istanbul, you two? Dom, uh, you've had a bit of a... Uh, Dan, you've had a little bit of time to get used to it. Dom, you're literally from the airport, aren't you? Yeah, I, I can say that the taxis here have lived up to their billing. That I, I've had a taxi from the airport to the hotel and then the hotel to, to meet with Dan. And um, they've both been absolute lunatics, so that was good. <laughs> good. Well, I mean, just just give us a bit of detail. Like, what, what, so, what's happened? All right, so, <laughs> so the funniest thing about the first guy was... He was talking to me in like a little bit of French. He was a Turkish bloke, but he clearly decided that like this guy's not from round here and I can't speak English. So <laughs> geographically, he was calling me Monsieur and stuff like this. Um, the best thing he did was he got he got a bit lost. So then thought he just, um, there was like a slip road off the motorway. So he just stopped on there with his hazards on while he sorted his Google Maps out. So that was <laughs> terrifying. So after that, the next guy's car I get in, um, the seatbelt situation wasn't great. There was nowhere to like plug it in. And now he could see me scrambling around in the back trying to get a belt in. And he's like, oh no, it's no problem. It's no problem. I was like, <laughs> but I, I, I'm here in one piece, so it was no problem. Good, good. Dan, how are things in the city otherwise? Because When did you get there? You've, you've been there a few hours now, have you? Yeah, I was here this afternoon. So I've had a, a little bit of work to do today. I was interviewing, I interviewed Wesley Schneider uh, today as part of my work here, which was uh, quite nice. He reckons Inter are going to win on penalties, actually. But I was at the um, the sort of UEFA headquarters hotel this afternoon, which was kind of a bit of a, a glimpse at how the other half live. Uh, there was lots of uh, dignitaries and people in posh suits and uh, ex-players. Actually, I actually saw Yaya Torre there. I didn't speak to him or anything, but he was there. And apparently Fernandinho was staying there as well. So, uh, yeah, I've not seen an awful lot of Istanbul, apart from the inside of hotels and the inside of bars yet. But, uh, yeah, it's... Uh... There's a bit of a buzz around the city, I would say. So let's let's talk about the game then, Dom. Um, city going in again as favourites. Uh, is that a tag? Do you think they'll they'll wear that better this time? Yeah. I mean, so, <clears throat> like yourself, I was at the media day at, at City a couple of days ago, and it seems to be a little bit of a running theme. Guardiola spoke about it in his press conference. Kyle Walker mentioned it. I think De Bruyne mentioned it. Of like this idea that what they experienced in 2021 is probably going to be a bit of they can use that as a bit of a positive now that they've been there before um 
and yeah, I, I'm not sure because I mean, aside from Haaland and Grealish and a couple of other additions, it's more or less the same team, and I'm not sure individually or collectively that they can play a whole lot worse. Um, yeah. And you know, Rodri's <laughs> yeah. going to play, which will be great. <laughs> Are you and, sure? Um, <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I mean, yeah. Can you imagine? Um, yeah, he's he's been watching a lot of clips of Inter, hasn't he, Pep? He's been, had a lot of time on his hands, but. I think it's going to be normal. And yeah, I, th- I think the experience of two years ago, although I was saying to Dan, like from coming through the airport, comparing it to when I was out in Porto as well, like, because I don't think I realised at the time just quite how weird Porto was as like the, the COVID final with like a few fans and not many. Because at the time it felt like great. It felt like there was loads of City fans everywhere and Chelsea fans because it was just like the first big day out after the pandemic. But just being on the flight today and seeing the airport today, um, this is going to be brilliant. This is just the scale of it's going to be incredible. And that also got me thinking just quite how weird, even though they've been playing pandemic football for 18 months, how weird playing in that final in those conditions must have been for them. And I think this team now, you look at how they've played against Bayern Munich and Real Madrid in the last two rounds, I think they're going to relish what's coming up over the next couple of days. Yeah, um, Dan, there, there does seem to be a lot more sense of calm in the squad, the way they're talking around this final. And it, it might just be like experiences. Like We had um, Higgy and Bob on earlier, both talking about the, the previous finals. It could just simply be experience of having been there. And albeit they lost, but they've, they've, they've been there in, under that pressure before. Yeah, I mean, that was one of the things that I took away from the 2021 final, that, all right, we lost the game and it was, uh, you know, a very disappointing night in the end. But I kind of felt like, you know, one day we'll we'll come back to this this final and we'll be better prepared for it and we'll we'll do a lot better and the fans will be a bit better prepared for it, you know, as Dom sort of talked about there. I feel like, you know, it's it's a special moment for the fans in a way that the Porto final wasn't. All right, some people did go to it, but I think a lot more fans have been able to get to this one. It feels like it's kind of destiny almost, you know, we've been talking about Istanbul as a city fan base for a long time as well, you know, and I was even reading an interview with Gundogan this week where he was talking about, you know, how he's always loved the Champions League and um, his his family are obviously Turkish and, and I'm from Istanbul and, you know, the, the idea of him lifting the trophy as city captain in the city that he's always wanted to get his hands on, it feels like, you know, kismet, fate or whatever you want to call it, it feels like there's an awful lot of that going on really. So I feel like City's players and, and, and coaching staff are very focused on this. You know, we've, we've had a very successful season and, you know, the completion of the treble is obviously on. And I just feel like, yeah, everything's building towards us failing miserably in <laughs> Istanbul and everything going wrong. I, I don't know. I, I, it just feel it just feels like what could go wrong at this moment in time. And as long-suffering City fans, we know that an awful lot can go wrong. But um, I think there's just such a good feeling around everything because everyone's excited for what's to come and it just feels like this is our time. Yeah, well, uh, have a listen to this. This is Guardiola speaking this week uh, about the game itself. He was asked here if the squad is as calm as it's ever been ahead of a big game. This is what he said. Finals is completely different. And what I'm doing the last days and the next days is try to understand the game you have to play. How play as much who we are, but at the same time, that, that will be a game with a lot, a lot, a lot of difficulties. A lot. It's not easy to attack the defensive system that they use and we have to be with a lot of rhythm but be patient. We are not going to do it in the three, four passes and we're going to do it. So we have to be you know, exactly the tempo, the right tempo, what you have to play. This is the most important thing in these type of games because 
you know, they know with a, as much game goes through, you became a little bit anxious and that will be a problem. So it's a final against the top team and we have to do it. And of course we are confident, I'm so optimistic, but in the same time, I cannot deny it, the difficulties and the quality of the opponents. Never have done it, and especially in the final of the Champions League. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. Now, Dom, you were telling me in the week you've uh, you, you basically uh, indulged yourself and uh, submerged yourself in uh, what happens around Inter and what Inter do. Um, what's uh, when Guardiola says that it's it's a difficult system to attack against? Is that kind of uh, is that setting alarm bells off anywhere? I, I suppose the main alarm bell. I mean, so, so I, yeah, I had a good look at everything they do and ended up thinking they're a cross between nineteen seventies Brazil and nineteen seventy four Holland. No, they're. Um, so, so they pl- they play three five two, which is or, or five three two, depending on how the game's going. Um, which does set alarm bells off for City fans, I think, a little bit. With that's what Leon played yeah, in the twenty twenty yeah. quarterfinal. Yeah. That's what Chelsea played. I do think that what Guardiola do- has done, particularly this season, with like the hybrid sort of back three, back four, since and pretty much going back to that Chelsea final, they've not really had the problems with the back three, back five that they've had before then having said that the fact that in where i think it's an interesting point in this game is into playing always play front two whether it's jeko or lukaku up front with lataro martinez they it's like an old-fashioned front two which city don't have to play a lot against and particularly since you know this thing with john stones going into the midfield that's been just a revelation since they've had this hybrid back three four They've probably not played against an out-and-out front too. So that's going to be interesting to see how they deal with that. But of course, when City beat Arsenal, they did just play a proper back four so that they can be flexible within within the system. So that's good. And I think also, so into a lot of people are talking about it like they're going to come and do the full-on traditional Italian Catanaccio park the bus job. And they are more defensive in Champions League games. You know, they came through a bit of a group of death with um, Bayern and Barcelona this year. But in Serie A, they get on the front foot quite a lot. And you know, their midfield three is, say, in the semis, it was Barella, Kalinoglu and Mkhitaryan, which are all very much copy and paste names for those who's writing about it. Um, <laughs> guys who like to get in the ball and play. So I think the fact that they're not going to have as much of the ball as they would like against City, yeah, they will, like, the, the midfield will drop in in front of the back five and try and block it all up. But... They've got like three playmakers in there, and I think I think there comes a point like in the second half where trying to be that disciplined for that long against a team as good as this City team just does eventually wear them down. So yeah, I, I, I've got over my massive internationale fear that I had from right this yeah, the uh, I mean the the interesting side of this as well, Dan is uh, as Don mentioned about Chelsea playing three five two. Obviously, Leon did that as well. Um, it, it was interesting to hear Guardiola talk earlier in the show about uh, having doubts against Chelsea and and having doubts having played Tuchel's team twice and not managed to get anything. There's none of that with Inter. Inter are not regular opponents. It's just a case of you know we study them, we play against their system. It's just another game. This in that in that sort of sense. Yeah, well, we've never played them before in a competitive match, have we? So it's uh, it, you know we, they're not regular opponents at all. We we have no experience of playing against them whatsoever. Um, 
you know, I don't think Inter are a great side. I don't know that's kind of like tempting fate. It's, a, you know, perhaps a bit of a silly thing to say in the built to final, but it is the truth, really. Um, they haven't had a particularly amazing season. There's been times this season where, uh, you know, the manager's been on the brink of a, the brink of the sack and they're like, they, they won the Coppa Italia, they finished third in Serie A. It's, uh, it's ended quite well for them. And, and it, you know, they are, they are riding a bit of a crest of a wave. But, you know, everything points towards City being the better team in this final, really. And even Inter fans are thinking that, that I've spoken to this week. You know, they're all expecting Inter to win. You know, even Wesley Schneider that I spoke to today said he thinks, you know, if Inter were going to win, it's going to be on penalties or something like that, which is quite a, quite a terrifying, terrifying thought. And we know that it could go that way. You know, we know that they could uh, they could defend well and, and, and stop City from playing and, and, and get it to penalties, get it to extra time. And... And anything can happen in the final, obviously, but it's uh, it's um, you know everything kind of points towards City winning this game, and that in a way that makes me feel more nervous because the stakes are almost a bit higher when you're the favourites, and every you know everything can go wrong. Really, there's there's no kind of surprise in that you're the uh, the surprise outcome is not going to be that you're the, the winners. Really, it's uh, it's all going to be um, very difficult if uh, if it goes wrong. So yeah, I just uh, I just hope that City turn up and play the game and they should be okay, really. But you, you just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, one one final question each, which is really really unfair. Um, but I want you to settle my nerves. Dan, are they going to do this? Yeah, I think they are. Yeah, I think they're going to do it. Yeah, Dom, if it goes, if it has to go all the way to penalties, even could they still do it? We can knock that on the end. It's a ten o'clock kickoff here. Let's let's, <laughs> let's 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 get this done in ninety minutes. I can't be bothered with that. Um, yeah, I can see it being a game where they have to maybe be a bit patient. But yeah, maybe, maybe two nil, both goals in the second half after everyone's had a half-time meltdown on Twitter. It being nil nil. That sounds about right. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, 2-0 isn't any of the scores that anybody's predicted on the charity bet. So uh, if that comes off, Don, we're going to absolutely hate you now. Uh, we had a winner <laughs> on the last charity bet, though. That was the FA Cup final. It was me again. Uh, I predicted 2-1 to City, and that took the total for the season up to £1,090. Let's try and finish with a flourish. William Hill is giving us three £10 correct score singles, and the winnings are going to the Man City Fans Food Bank Support Group. They're helping the Trussell Trust fight food poverty in Manchester. So we heard earlier on that Higgy went for a 2-1 City win over Inter. That's 15 to two and 75 pounds if he's right bob suggested three nil to city that's nine to one and 90 pounds and francesco went for a three one city win much to uh, dan's confusion in many ways um <laughs> that's uh, that's 11 to one and 110 pounds if he's right remember you got to be 18 or over to gamble prices can change and for more on responsible gambling then take a look at begambleaware.org uh dan dom if you can enjoy the game I don't know if you can while you're working on it. Is that possible? I'm going to enjoy it definitely. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It was it was good. It was good working at Wembley at the weekend, and when the Gundian goal went in, it looked like a, you know that Woodstock document, Woodstock '99 documentary when Gundian scored, <laughs> looking at the city, and it was like like when Corner just went biscuit. Yeah, it was all, yeah, it's just like bodies. Yeah, so it can be fun. It can be fun in the uh, the postings. Well, I, uh, I hope in many ways that you both have to do a lot of restraining yourselves because that means City are doing well. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed for that. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast.
Now then, uh, the pressure might be starting to toll ahead of such a big game, so let's try and calm those nerves a little bit by dipping into some of the lighter moments of this season. I've been chatting to City fans Casey and Kieran Murray about the weird and wonderful alternative highlights of the campaign. We pick up from Christmas, having covered the first half of the season in the 2022 review, so Kieran started by discussing some City versus inanimate objects moments. It has been a, a year of water bottles being turfed around. Um, that Pep one is very, very funny. Did you it's say the, it was against Leeds? Yeah. It's, it's against Leeds. It's the comedy run, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. So he's thrown it down in anger and then very, very comically uh, had to sort of chase after it to apologise for the faux pas, um, which I suppose we've all done. You do something in anger on your because you're in your own head so much and you realise it might have hurt somebody else inadvertently and then all of a sudden you're groveling and you look ridiculous with it like yeah okay so it's the it's the hands on head i think that that does it because like have you ever run with your hands on your head just to like like to oh yeah, yeah show do despair it. yeah yeah do it all this time. man's never no. run in his life before David. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but what about Kyle Walker? Because Kyle Walker in the dugout with the Amazon camera was the same game, Casey. Um, and like we've all ba- we've all been there, haven't we? Where we banged our head on something that we've not expected to be there, and then just gone right. You're getting it. Yeah, it, it's it, it's also sort of that thing where there's something out of the corner of your eye that catches you as well, and there is that sort of split second in your head where you think, "Who's done that to me?" <laughs> before before then, the actual embarrassment of. Actually, it's an inanimate object. Yeah. <laughs> Who's done that to me? My own stupidity. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, there's there's that wonderful image, Kieran, of, uh, of of him just looking down the barrel of it as he's ripping it off. And it's just like, it's like, you know, when you see animals find a camera and they, they yeah. look into the lens, it's exactly like that. Yeah. It goes off, doesn't it? And he comes back with a brew or it's certainly something in a polystyrene cup. Um, and then he starts kind of feeding the camera is his tea or his coffee or his water or whatever is in the cup like i don't know why he'd be drinking that on the bench anyway but um you can kind of tell that he he realizes that he's in a comedic moment and i don't know whether players might be a bit self-aware now and they know they're going to kind of you know it might be a viral video or people will be sharing it later so he just starts to play up with it and, and and act up a little bit like but um yeah I mean, it was better that camera catching him uh, in his actions than the other camera did later in the season. That is true. <laughs> yeah, that is true, to be fair. Um, when it comes to players that have gone viral, City have got two of them that uh, can't avoid the, the spotlight. We'll come to uh, one in a minute. But first, Erling Haaland, KC, um, has spent the entire season kind of memeing himself. Um, I mean, the, the one that, that I immediately thought of was uh, on New Year's Eve when uh, it was against Everton with Ben Godfrey. And he's kind of doing that. You know, like, you know, like when babies imitate kind of how somebody's talked. He's, yeah, did, like, yeah, he's yeah. just caught on camera doing that. Yeah, uh, well, well, I, I, what I thought you were going to say was something very similar. You know where he does his impression of John Stones. Oh yeah, the Louvre. Yeah, so it, yeah, Louvre. Louvre. But, but, but yeah, it's no just uh, yeah, clearly he's just like enjoying himself, a young, a young bloke, and it just yeah. sort of like taking the piss out of things, and um, yeah, it's it's great to see because obviously, like you know, happy players taking the piss out of each other is uh, is a sign of a good dressing room, isn't it? He wasn't happy that day against Godfrey, though, was he? He He wasn't. (laughs) Your your impression, Kieran. Your impression of Harlan doing impression of Stones is really good. Do that again. Oh, I don't think I'll be able to do it on the spot, David. (laughs) Oh, come on now. (laughs) The (laughs) Louvre. 
<laughs> it's this again when I tried Grealish last year. Yeah. Um, that is that's that's one of the funniest moments of the season, isn't it? That Louvre bit. Yeah. Um, it, it the first time I saw it, I thought John Stones was still talking, but just off camera. Like somebody said it, somebody cleverer than me said it, it sounds more like John Stones than John Stones does. That's how good Haaland's impression was. Absolutely unreal. Absolutely spot on. He's done other things all season though as well. So uh, I don't know if either of you remember this. When he uh, he chased down Ben White in the Arsenal home game and Ben White just put it out for a throwing because he was scared of it. And he turned to the fans and double fist pumped them. <laughs> <laughs> It was like Neil Neal at the time as well, yeah. season, uh, And he doesn't mind celebrating winning a throw-in either, does he? For for as many goals as he gets, it's just it's it's not the only thing he loves about the game or about celebrating the game. He's got many little victories. Um, and for such a kind of like machine to, to get so excited by these kind of things, it just like endears you to him even further. He's an absolute hero. Yeah. Um, his, uh, Kieran, was it you that sent me his, his um, heat map when he'd been time-wasting? Yeah, I, yeah. Was that was that against Arsenal? Maybe was it? It could have been. Uh, and he's just in the corner flag, like the, the color red is around the <laughs> corner flag, and like over the pitch, he's barely touched anywhere else. But there's a deep shade of red right in the corner flag because that's where he stood wasting time. Yeah. Absolutely class. Because that harks back, doesn't it, to the um, the time wasting that we all loved at Old Trafford a few seasons ago. Um, where Bernardo kind of ran towards the box and then changed his mind and ran back out again just to yeah. waste time at <laughs> the corner flag. Where he, where, he straight through, where he could have been straight through on goal. That's yeah. Now no, no, no. in the corner yeah. too much. Yeah. yeah. So, like, the, the dark arts, I think it's been called a lot this season and the time wasting. I think Newcastle have been at it and, like, I've really fallen out with other teams for trying it on them. Uh, but with City doing it, it's just absolutely hilarious. Like, it always there always happens to be some sort of comedic value to it as well. I love it. Yeah, he's uh, he's let his hair down a few times, KC, as well. There was the there was the um, I can't remember where it was. Was it at Nottingham Forest where he did the shake and it was like a um, just L'Oreal off, advert. L'Oreal advert at half time. <laughs> Bournemouth, I think. Yeah, was it at Bournemouth? Yeah, mm. um, but also like he, he he let his hair down to score against Arsenal, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. The, the, where where he, where the, where he let his hair down to score against Arsenal, it's just like the imagery of like a comet streaking through the sky, like you know the way his hair's trailing behind him. But then to finish it as well, while you're looking like an absolute maniac, was just oh, it's so funny. Well, he reminds me a little bit of the genocidal maniac uh, Vigo the Carpathian from um, Ghostbusters Two. You know the painting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what he reminds me of. You know when he comes out of the painting and he shakes his hair around like just. Um, there's a niche reference for you, really. Yeah, yeah. Wait, wait, weirdly, you you remind me of the Marshmallow Man, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> well, you remind me of Slimer. <laughs> I'll take, I'll take it, I'll take it. Uh, well, while we're while we're on uh, kind of uh, Harland as well, um, he uh, for much of a goal scoring machine he is, and for all the the kind of letting his hair down moments and and having a little bit of fun, uh, he gets pissed off, doesn't he, Casey, when he can't do a rondo? Oh God, definitely. But it's just like you—you you would be though as well, wouldn't you? Would you? I don't know. He's just like, like he's—he's—he's he's, he's clearly got the goal-scoring talent of well, nobody that we've ever seen before. It's like, yeah, sure, I can't do rondos, but all right. Yeah, I know, but like, but you, you want you want to join in and get about and do stuff, don't you? When you're a footballer. Well, I don't know. Maybe I've got the mentality wrong because I can't even run five yards these days. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, when he picked up and shook uh, Bernardo Silva, Kieran. Yes, 
uh, there was a very funny tweet with that, wasn't there? Somebody wrote, wrote he, "This that's a grown man." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just like absolutely shaking the life out of little Bernardo. Uh, it's mad how much he gets picked on, but it's taken Haaland absolutely no time to ingratiate to realize, himself yeah. into the way that <laughs> everybody picks on Bernardo Silva as the little guy. Like, um, but yeah, he's so class and so brilliant and involved so much that you would just love to lift Bernardo up. And Haaland really, really shook the life out of him, and that like it was hilarious. If you were gonna like, if you're gonna pick on somebody, like it could quite easily be Haaland, you know, Casey, because he's he's admitted to watching Hannah Montana, he's admitted to playing Minecraft. Like the guy's a nerd. Yeah, Gen Gen Z is different these days, David. We're just we we just don't get them. That's that, that's what all the kids are into, man. Uh, these, these these people grew up on High School Musicals one, two, and three. Do you know what I mean? That 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 was that was their zeitgeist. We're, we're, we're just old men now, man. Oh God, God, I feel old. Garrity was uh, was it was it Goretzka? He was farting there. Yes, Goretzka came out after the match, didn't he, and said Haaland a real pain to play against because. It just farts next to you. But then there was an accompanying <laughs> video with that um Haaland in the in the yellow and black strip. Um and Goretz is kind of because you find out, don't you, that a lot of players this year have been like pinching and scratching and scraping and trying to bruise Haaland. If you remember after Everton, he like he took his top off and he was absolutely covered. Um so this seems to be his kind of like strategy to avoid that and curtail it. Just uh, pump next is, to them. Yeah. Is to just golf all over them, yeah. But in that video, um Goretzka's kind of like touching him on the on the stomach and he kind of does this little like tee hee hee laugh thing and touches his own stomach. Uh they're almost having a little ba- bit of banter and then the ball comes in and Hallett just absolutely empties him. It's like hands on face, post shove straight down. It's great. Amazing. Um, and one final one for, for Harlan KC. Have you ever cooked uh, steak in your pyjamas? Uh, yeah. Did you ask me that specifically because you know the answer is probably yes? I did think it might be yes, yeah. Yes, yeah, the answer is yes, yes. Uh, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me at all that the answer is yes. Um, <laughs> KC's cooking habits and eating habits. Uh, um, no, not, not in pyjamas, I don't think. I don't know what this. I don't know what the situation would, uh, uh, how the situation would present itself that you would do it. Can you tell us well, how it well, presented itself to you? <laughs> yeah, right, right. So when, right, so Christmas Day, right, is one of the one of the few times where you actually properly wear pajamas and that. One of the rare times you treat yourself to steak and eggs for breakfast. Cook <laughs> a bit of steak in your pajamas. <laughs> got, right. got, got to admit, Kieran, he's got you there. <laughs> He does, yeah. It is one of the uh, one of the rare times, or one of the medium rare times that you cook. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well done. Uh, uh, hey, hey. Luke. Let's, <laughs> let's look at the uh, other player who's uh, become a bit of a meme of himself this season uh, because Jack Grealish has had a whale of a second season. Um, I want to start, Casey, with his interview after Chelsea. Uh, where he he basically discovers, or he knew already, but it's made known that he went to the same school as Karen Carney. And uh, he replies with, that's where these brainy minds come from. <laughs> he's, he's, de- he's definitely pinky, isn't he? Out of pinky in the brain. <laughs> Really yeah, uh, yeah. It's his. I think it's his accent as well, Kieran. You're right. Yeah, yeah. It's always his accent with Grealish. That whole interview is just like 
Carney, Jimmy Floyd Hasselbein, Carragher, and then the presenter just absolutely pissing himself, laughing at everything he says. His interviews are just always timeless, really, really good game. Um, and that was the one where he came on, him and Mares came off the bench Won the game, against yeah. Chelsea, and both of them changed the game. I think Grealish assisted Mares for the goal, having both come off the bench. So Grealish's whole anecdote and story about that, and thinking the keeper was going to go for it, and uh, and then Carney just, yeah, then I'm saying that they both have brainy minds. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Like he, even even when he's trying to claim that they're clever and having brainy minds, he can't he do sounds it. thick. Yeah, like, how does he do it? <laughs> God, he's just he's just unbelievable. Did you did you see the thing at the week um, after the derby as well, where he accidentally posted on his Insta or Snapchat or something of him clearly leathered in the back of a taxi or something, singing about United as well? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah the, man, the man's just the man's just comedy gold. It's and guzzling his hat in the dressing room. Get it down, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's his, it's his social media presence, though, because it was it was on his Instagram story where he just took a photograph of him having a, a mug of tea, and the mug on it was just Nathan Ake with tits. <laughs> tits out Ake. Yeah. So what isn't there? There's a Twitter account, footballers with tits. I yeah. Think. Um, but of all the players... In our squad, you know, the meek, mild-mannered, courteous, polite young Nathan Ake, for him to be um, chest out, bearing all on Jack <laughs> Relish's mug was just a real, real turn up for the books. Like, <laughs> I mean, if the, of all the things, like City might win the treble this season, but it's more unexpected that Nathan Ake would have his baps out on Jack Grealish's mug. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, Casey, can you compete with uh, Grealish's takeaway order? Oh, yes, he can. What was it? What was it? Dan Burke said it, it, it cost about fifty or sixty quid when he somebody looked it up in the paper. It was just um, there was basically no Chinese based food at all on it. It was all just like salt and pepper stuff and like um, do you know one of the, do you know like those Instagram Chineses that girls oh yeah show, yeah where girls put up put on the like story a, when it's like. like a third of the plate is chips, a third of the plate's noodles, a third of the plate's rice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah loads of like sweet, over, like yeah. chili stuff, stuff, and then like curry sauce all smothered over the top. But and like, every that, single one of them looks fit as fuck. The worst um, bit though is that he just puts it. I mean, Casey, you do this, and this this really scares me. But he he just puts all of his food into one like bowl or plate and just mixes it all up. Yeah, yeah, that's what you have to do. See, I get stick for this. If you mix all your full your food up so it looks as absolutely unappetizing as possible. You get a bit of everything in every bite. That's why you. Have, that's why you. Have <laughs> no, to that's why you've got a knife and fork. So <laughs> you, you can yeah, cut, like... you can cut your own morsels up each time to make the food together. Like, yeah, it's, it's like hell. see eating with both of you actually. Casey's the most uncouth eater I've ever encountered, <laughs> and David Mooney's the fussiest eater I've ever fucking encountered. Like. Dude, yeah, you just eat normal when you like. It's like our mate Morehead once said to me, he says, you look like you've just knocked fuck out of your food before you start eating it. <laughs> our column does the same on Christmas dinner. Like, um, He just cuts everything up. and like, Why would you ruin a Christmas dinner? I know, well, we just... call it Christmas dinner soup. And it's just, like, it's, 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 it's just a plate of everything mixed up into one, like, fucking... It's like being put in a blender. It's disgusting. Oh, no. And Casey does it with a, like, with a fry-up. When we go out before the match and get a breakfast, 
Casey will just go, um, 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 with this man's four. <laughs> and like, you've got black pudding and beans and fucking sausages all mixed up. It's disgusting, man. <laughs> Uh, uh, two more from uh, Grealish both things he said Uh, the first one was this weekend uh, watch me Gucci bag um, which it's incredible from the dressing room he also called uh, Harland earlier in the season an absolute ball magnet (laughs) (laughs) again it's just the accent isn't it like just a funny funny man a very memeable um, character and just Somebody said it last season, but like the hundred million price tag, he's worth it just for the shade he comes out with. Like, yeah, yeah he could he could he could easily do a stand up tour once he's finished, couldn't he? Yeah, but he wouldn't yeah, have to write yeah. any material though. He'd just go out on stage and improv it, and, it, and everyone yeah. would just crease. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just take the piss out of all the players. I mean, I'm still not over him saying Bernardo Silva was just such a disgrace against Villa at the end of the season last year that they had to come off. Like, yeah, yeah. so he's like, he's like Miguel Almiron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unreal, and Almiron had a stormer of the season at the start, uh, and every single time he did something good, it was all down to Grealish. It was just, it was just, it was just an unexplainable drive by on Almiron. Absolutely no reason. Yeah, yeah. Um, I tell you who else has come into his own this season when it comes to uh, things they've said and done is uh, Pep Guardiola. I'm going to run through a few of them now. Uh, feel free to to jump in over over any of them. Um, he, he said that uh, Calvin Phillips now has the perfect body, so sexy, after uh, he'd come back overweight and he called him out for it. Um, after the Premier League charges were announced and the, the threat of City being relegated was uh, was put forward, uh, he said, no, we'll be OK. We'll uh, we'll call Paul Dickoff and Mike Summerby and they'll come back and, and play for us. Uh, United can be City's rivals if they spend a bit more money. That was, uh, that was his quote. Uh, the whole Julia Roberts thing. I, I, what amazing. on earth was going on? Uh, going on with that dirty, dirty horn dog. The man was at least you know semi chub under there talking about that. the absolute dirty smirk on his I face. Man. Fancy shooting your shot with Julia Roberts so publicly, like. <laughs> 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 yeah, um, I, I can't remember what game this was after uh, or before, but he was talking about Phil Foden, uh, and he described him as flabbergastic. That's right, yeah, like flabbergasting and fantastic mixed up into one word. Yeah, superb. It's the way he delivers it, though. It's it's like it's it's, it's like he knows that it's not quite right, but he goes, <laughs> "Fuck it, I'll do it with confidence." There we go. Yeah. <laughs> Well, is it yeah. a port, is it a portmanteau then? Is it? It is yeah. a portmanteau, yeah. Uh, yeah, and you're not even the English teacher. I know. I, know. I didn't want to go there because I would just talk, sound too nerdy. But I'm, yeah, I'm very impressed. A star, Kieran. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> uh, KC, what did you make of him uh, celebrating the uh, goal with the Liverpool subs? Yeah, he just. But he's just a maniac, isn't he? <laughs> like, yeah. it, it's just, it, it's got to the point now where when when he did that, there was I, I was not even slightly, it wasn't even slightly unexpected, was it? <laughs> it was just, <laughs> it's just remarkable about how good a goal it was and wanted to kind of like share it with other people. <laughs> but the wrong people to do it are the fucking subs of the opposition you're playing against. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, um, Garen, we've all we've all had a bit of an Ilkay Gundogan loving at the end of this season, but oh God, um, always complete sex man. But Guardiola quoted about him. Uh, he said, uh, "I love him. I'm married, but I adore him." And then <laughs> uh, about a week later, he missed the penalty against Leeds, and he just totally blanked him as he left the pitch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, I suppose it's a little lover's tiff there, isn't it? Um, 
bought, he bollocked Haaland. He gave Haaland a proper bollocking after that as well, didn't he? And I think Haaland's only scored one goal since then. Um, so I'm putting his uh, kind of like downturn in form slightly down to um, feeling a bit stung by that chewing out he got. Yeah. That's um, just a little theory that I have. Do you know what we haven't talked about as well? I forgot about um, was, do you remember he said that it was City's fault that Steven Gerrard slipped? Oh, God, he did, didn't he? Yeah. And then the next week, he started his press conference by calling this, and that was really out of line. I've phoned up Stephen Gerrard and apologised. <laughs> <laughs> like, fucking damage was done. <laughs> Imagine being Gerrard on yeah. the end of that conference. Like, how does that get set up? Does he just have Gerrard's number and automatically rings him up? Or does he does he go through official club contacts? I know. And <laughs> just, ah, oh, mental. Yeah. Um, January also saw uh, the departure of Joao Cancelo from City. Um, one of my favourite. I mean, there's a, there's a little bit of Guardiola around this as well because in the Arsenal FA Cup game, Cancelo. Yeah, when uh, <laughs> when Ake scored uh, in the post match interview, uh, he said it, he, he goes, "Everyone in the dressing room." Which, mm, most people in the dressing room are pleased for Nathan Ake, and it's obviously a digger at Cancelo. He then called him Mister Cancelo in the uh, in the post match press conference. <laughs> that's so good, like, but that's the, so good. The best bit of it all is uh, the Twitter account at MCFC Lads, uh, who tweeted uh, Joao Cancelo's Instagram account is no longer active. Someone replied to them with, "Yes, it is," and then they quote tweeted it with the update: Joao Cancelo has blocked us on Instagram. <laughs> A story in three parts. Yeah, just incredible. Have either of you two been blocked by a City player? Uh, I, th- I think I think I might only have ever followed Phil Foden. <laughs> oh really? I no, I, I follow them all. I'm a bit I'm a bit weird like that. I've still got Ed and Jacko as well from from, and I'm really worried that I'm going to have to be subjected to. You know him having too good a time after Saturday night. Do you, um, do you unfollow him ahead of the game just well, in case, or, well, is, or does I'm that very sp- superstitious, as you know. Yeah, so, does that spur him on? Yeah, well, that's it. Probably, yeah, probably what what's, what will spur him on in the end. Yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, no, that that's very funny that Mister Cancelo blocked them. Mister Cancelo calling him that is such an unbelievably brilliant passive aggressive <laughs> way. Well, well, it's, well, it's, well, it's the other thing as well, isn't it? Because Mister. In um, Spain and and uh, Catalonia and everything, that's what they use instead of like boss and gaffer and stuff for the manager as well, isn't it? They say Mister, don't they? Oh, oh, I didn't so, know that. You're right. a fine of knowledge tonight, Casey. I know you you won't you won't realise I'm still hanging out with my ass from Saturday, would you? <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh, let's turn our attention on the pitch. There's a couple, only a couple of things to, only a couple of highlights from the pitch. Um, Kyle Walker almost taking Bernardo's head off with a throw-in. Uh, Casey, I don't know if you remember that away at Chelsea. He takes a throw. It, 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 like he launches it towards Bernardo, who just kind of like dives down out of the way, assuming that there must be someone else behind it, and he's just thrown <laughs> it to a Chelsea player because it was actually for him. Yeah, it, it just. Um, I, 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 when I watched that as well, I did sort of, um, I sort of got it because, because they call Bernardo bubblegum, don't they? Sometimes with how how the ball just sticks to him. So I bet Walker's just got to the point where he's literally just go on control this. Yeah, control. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, never, not a chance. And then uh, I don't know if you've seen the video, Kieran, of uh, Rico Lewis uh, celebrating City's first goal at Bournemouth. He actually celebrates it about three times before it eventually crosses the line. 
yeah, he's doing that sort of like little babyish kind of hop, skip, and a jump kind of thing in the build up to a goal being scored. It's like um, our column when he watches TV, but Casey's daughter is a bit like this as well. She, you know, she, when she gets so excited, her arms kind of flap because um, yeah. she's so happy watching like like a cartoon or something. And my brother used to be like that. It was cute as fuck. Well, that's what Rico Lewis reminds me of there. Like, <laughs> he knows the goal's going to go in. It's not quite in yet. Um, so he's jumping up in an anticipation of the celebration of it. Oh, yeah, class. What a season he had. Um, 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 what a what a great kid he'll be for the future as well. Well, well wait, wait, weirdly that, that you've mentioned Esme is one of Esme's big annoyances because she's like four years old as a, as a side bit for, the, for this season is she gets unfathomably annoyed when City aren't playing in blue against a team that's that, that, that where we don't clash with. And I'm like, you're four years old and you already sort of get the actual stupidity of that. I really enjoy that. that another alternative moment was how much that yellow and black kit was worn this season. It was absolutely ridiculous. Like We wore it more than the away kit. Yeah, I, I happen to be wearing the top as we speak. Did I tell you I got it? Uh, no, the, so the yellow and black one you've, you're yeah, wearing yeah, right now. On sale. I just thought it was such a momentous season. I just kind of wanted to have all the shittest oh. kit of the three. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the I've got the red and black one and the blue one as well. I just wanted to have all the kits from this season. Oh, I like, see, I see. It's I unreal. See. So like they're they're a bit cheaper now, aren't they? So I just kind of recently bought them, um, and none of my clothes fit me anymore. So I got a bigger size, and it's a comfortable kind of wearing around the house because. Wouldn't be seen dead in public. In a football <laughs> shirt, yeah. Yeah, or this particular yellow and black one. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of, uh, of of goal celebrations, uh, the kind of inverse of that, Casey, was John Stones laughing at Mamela Akanji uh, because Akanji had, uh, had missed a chance and was really angry with himself, even though Harland put the rebound in. Um Akanji was just. I'd, was just... I'd, I'd, I'd say. I'd say. I've never seen a man play for us that wants to score more than Akanji. No, mm. it, 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 like I've never seen it, especially for a defender. He gets so angry, doesn't he? Mm. He, 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 he really, really wants it. Yeah, it's uh, it's absolutely mad. Just uh, may as well stick him up top for a bit, give him a goal when we're when we're battering teams, see what he's like. He got yeah. one against Madrid, though, didn't he? No, he got that taken off him, didn't he? I don't know if it if it was taken off him in the end. He certainly was. He was making a very big play afterwards to claim it. Yeah, I thought. Mm. I, I just. I just thought it was taken off him. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, here's a question for you. While we're while we're on John Stones, um, what's a few? KC, what's a few mean to you? A few is uh, for three to four, three, four, five. Yeah, right? same. Yeah, absolutely the same. Three or four. I'm sorry, John Stones. It's not two, is it? It just is not two. <laughs> No, two is a couple. Two is a couple, couple, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Three is a crowd. <laughs> yeah, three. <laughs> yeah, but, or, yeah, no, or, a, or, or a pair or a brace is acceptable. Mm. He's clearly fuming about having to do so many interviews and the club or whoever had told him, oh, you'll be doing a few, and he had it in his head, it was two. But he says in Manchester, it's two. It's just and bad. I was like, "Oh shit!" Not being from Manchester, I I, I didn't know if like all my kind of Mancunian mates were saying it, you know, in a way that I didn't. But I, every single thing that I follow or know, I said, "No, John Stones is completely wrong." Yeah, a few is three <laughs> or four. It's just like a, a yeah. few, a few of them. Yeah, I think he needs a kanji to help him out with some maths, sir, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, 
uh, Casey, you might you might be more aware of this uh, than me or Kieran, given that you have. Uh, I'm really, I'm really worried. I'm really worried. What's coming with this question? <laughs> Just that you have a daughter, and and uh, oh, right. me and Kieran are not parents. Um, right. But I, I had no idea what the normal men, innocent men meme was. Are you joking me? Yeah, I oh, had no okay, idea. But what even was. I knew that daughter or no daughter. I, that 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 meme is older than Esme is. <laughs> yeah, it's been about for years, man. But it just pops up every so often because it's so unbelievably good. So, <laughs> we're just normal men. <laughs> just innocent men. <laughs> <laughs> I've no idea. Like, I, I, I'm laughing at it, but I, I don't really get it. I don't know what it is. What, uh, what does it mean? Well, have you not subsequently gone back and watched it? Yeah, but I don't get why it's funny. What's funny about it? I don't it's, understand. It's, it's, it's funny because it makes no sense. Possibly. Yeah, there's a little puppet like improvising that. Like obviously it's unscripted or whatever. And Lauren Layfield, who's presenting it, you know, has it's just really tickled her. The, the his turn of phrase and his word choices in that moment. And I think she's probably realised. The sort of surreality of a, a you know a, a dog puppet saying it as well with a little gruff voice, um, because he says something so deep and profound, but it's on children's TV like, and she, it just really takes her by surprise and she pisses herself laughing, um, but she, it turns out she's a city fan, which I, I guess we can bring it back to the podcast. Yeah, um, yeah, amazing. Didn't know that. What a bonus. Yeah. Uh, let's finish with uh, three from uh, last weekend's cup final. Uh, first off, uh, the the Phil Foden selfie especially, but the, the selfies with Elton John, Casey, are incredible, aren't they? Oh, I absolutely love it because, like, like I'm like I, I I love Elton John anyway. Like, you know, he's fantastic, even though you know he's probably past it now. But it's just like when you when you're just trying to take a selfie with a nana or something it's just like it's just, it's just so funny he literally and, looks uh, like my auntie Josie he looks like her <laughs> that that's that's her her size and like even kind of what she wears and just the way she carries herself like that's so I couldn't I couldn't watch that and not think of auntie Josie like Excellent. Um, the other one was uh, again John Stones, who's had uh, quite the season actually. When you think about the uh, the alternative moments here, uh, heading the crossbar right at the death, Kieran. Oh, I know. Yeah, it's I, I I've had to watch that a good fifteen times to see what actually properly happened because mm. I couldn't make head and tail of the physics of it. Yeah, I, I don't... who I watched the match with was saying he's head of the crossbar there. He's head of the crossbar, but I thought he was talking about the United player, and then when I saw it. Afterwards, and realised that Stones had put his body on the line so much that he doinked the, the crossbar <laughs> like full scale, fodder it. Um, look, but it reminded me a little bit of like you know his, his goal line clearances or you know clearing it off the line against Liverpool that time, um, where they're still on about it to this day. Uh, just does everything and goes the extra mile. Um, Johnny Boulders. Yeah, I don't know. You know, um, like I'm I'm not sure. I'm six foot just over. Um, I don't know if I could get my head to touch the crossbar. Don't know if I could do it. And he's done, like he's jumped up there and done it, headed the crossbar, and just carried on as if it's normal. Like surely it hurts. Yeah, I uh, sore head in the morning after that. Yeah. Uh, the final final one, Casey, is uh, as the players were celebrating, the uh, the cameras picked up uh, one woman in the crowd in particular. Uh, we're not sure which player it, what it, it was. If you were to hazard a guess, you might guess at Jack Grealish. Um, the little phone sign with uh, with call me, yeah, and 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 I'll repeat what I said about Pep with Julia Roberts before. Absolute dirty horn dog of a woman. 
if she's not the special guest, David, at Blue Moon Podcast Live, I will be disappointed. <laughs> I'll see what I can do. I'll see what I can do. <laughs> Call her. <laughs> <laughs> Email the show through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. That was the two Kierans with their alternative highlights of the season. And that's the end of this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening and thank you to all of my guests for this one. So Adam Carter, Sam Roscoe, Gary James, Chris Higginbottom, Bob Toole, Dom Farrell, Dan Burke, Casey and Kieran Murray. Don't forget our Patreon is currently free. Patreon backers won't be charged for June and July, so now is the ideal time to sign up and get a taste of what bonus episodes we do. We're going to spend the summer recording some more for next season as well. At the moment, if you sign up, you can listen to all of our back catalogue of bonus podcasts, and there's nothing to pay until August at the earliest. You can also get your tickets for the live podcast on June the 14th at Idle Hands in Manchester. Details for that are on our Twitter feed at Blue Moon Podcast, or you can head on over to BMP 2023 eventbrite.com that's bmp2023.eventbrite.com that's going to be our very next show where we'll review whatever happens on Saturday night so see you then that was the Blue Moon Podcast Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode. Blue Moon Podcast.